The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Yeehaw, ladies and gentlemen, international man of leisure and the first ever, the youngest ever UFC heavyweight champion, Josh Barnett, ladies and gentlemen. I highly stress they can't leisure. Take that. They can't take that from you. No, no they what. can't. No, the I, because ever. I'm laying on top of it right now with uh, a bag of uh, Oreos and and my feet propped up on a and a lovely lady. Unless some time. Mike Tyson type character comes around and wins it at 20, you got that shit locked I don't, up. Don't really see that happening. It's weird, isn't it? The heavyweight division is weird. Well, it's ever since to... a lot of that drug testing came into play, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to see <laughs> an 18 year old roll up into the UFC at over 200 and some odd pounds and just start laying into people. Isn't it possible though? Like if you one of those freak athletes that would normally make it into the NFL, maybe he's got a dad that has been in martial arts instructor his whole life that kind of thing sure i could see it but then again the the pull is uh if you could make it into the nfl you're almost you're okay i'm gonna take all that money now and play in the nfl and then if i feel like being a fighter i'll do that right like I, herschel walker did like like herschel walker did although i mean he is a freak of freak of freaks i mean when you look at herschel he shouldn't be in the kind of shape he is at his age yeah, and he says he eats like a bowl of soup and a salad every day. And a got, Snickers bar or something. Yeah. He's got some weird thing going on, too, though. He has multiple personality disorder that's trauma-induced. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe one of those personalities eats while the other one doesn't know about it. The other one's working out all the time. Yeah. And, and so you're getting all your caloric needs from one guy, and the other guy's doing all the working out. The other dude jerks you off. Uh, <laughs> then, then you have the one dude that does your taxes. Right. It could be a useful thing. It would definitely be a useful thing for your mind. You, you compartmentalize like that. You could really pretend you don't jerk off and really pretend that you don't eat. And you just have a bowl of salad and a soup and you're fucking Superman. I barely even lift weights. <laughs> Meanwhile, you got fucking white powder all over your hand from chalk, from <laughs> Olympic lifting. You fucking uh, calluses. Blisters. Where are you getting those calluses from, man? I don't know what you're talking about, man. That ain't me. That's Mike. A bunch of engine blocks out in the front yard all overturned. Mike lives this part of my brain yeah back here mike did it yeah he was unbelievable he was like 48 or 49 his last fight in strike force and he just looks like a fucking greek god yeah that's the kind of guy that i don't even think science could make be that well you know what i mean like there are guys out there that like uh i have a buddy mike o'hearn right he's 40 i don't know 46 something like that and he's a family friend from way back in the day he's from uh uh juanita redmond washington originally He's friends with my, my brother-in-law. He, everybody, we all know him. We've known him for a long time. Ridiculous shape. He can get up to, I don't know, 285, still fairly lean, pull 700 pounds off the floor, 800 pounds, just ridiculous amount of strength. Then he can go ahead and shred down to 244 or something because of 242 to do some photo shoot. Mr. Olympia, a little, um, uh, here, I'm here for this. Uh, supplement company or that supplement company or guest thing here and still in training do I don't know 600 for reps squatting and you're just looking at him going you know his whole thing is being a natural bodybuilder his whole life and he's but it's I, I wouldn't you couldn't there's nothing you could say that could ever diminish his what he's done because no it's just like there's nobody else out there I don't care what you shoved in him or what you didn't shove in him you can't be that guy. 
Right. He's just that sick, strong, and he still looks like he's like 30. So you're just like, well, yeah, he won the genetic lottery. Unless you have some sort of crazy radical genetic engineering down the pipe, which probably is going to happen within maybe. a lifetime, maybe. But yeah, like there's some dudes, no matter how much steroids they take, they just, then you're never going to compete with some ridiculous freak athlete. No, Mike is one of the most genetically gifted and hardworking, of course, too, people I have ever seen. He also has a world record for running through plate glass windows. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds like, yeah, no shit he does, right? How many people but, <laughs> were competing in that race? But uh, no, he's football, football gear and a helmet, and they line up these plate glass windows in this huge, long, uh, line, this light, like a, a two two line or three line deal. Like dominoes? No, no, no. You, each one is it's, and it's individually set up, and he smashes through the first, the second, and he keeps going. You know, and sometimes you run into him, it bounces you back, and you just got to keep driving. Oh my dude god! Is, he's also got a black belt in judo. Jesus Christ! He was on the American Gladiators. He uh, he was on Battle Dome. Battle Dome. Battle Dome. I kind of remember that. Yeah. Uh, what was Battle Dome again? I think. Lower rent American gladiators that was meaner and people got hurt more. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Everybody had a very obnoxious or ostentatious, like very gregarious character, very over the top. And so he was Mike Odell, like the perfect Greek god. Although Odell, come on, that's not very Greek. Yeah, Odell. But, uh, but then, uh, you know who was else was on there was, uh, God, I can't remember his name. He played in the NFL. He's incredibly funny. Uh, Terry Crews. Terry Crews is on Battle Dome. Was he really? Yeah, he was. I don't remember. And then there was another guy. You know, Eric Paulson used to train them, and Eric even did the psycho guy gimmick, the Hannibal Lecter deal. And they had an event on there where you'd have to get a guy off this platform over the lines. And Eric used to just murder everybody in that event. And then... One of our guys who fights, who is uh, one of our CSW dudes, he actually went on to Battle Dome at one point, uh, Jay Martinez, way back in the day, and he wrecked all the dudes that he saw on, who got, he got onto the platform, the, the push out one. He just fucked them all up. And they were so, they hated him so bad because <laughs> there was like another event where it was football esque. You know, Terry Crews and Mike would just, practically take people's heads completely off their body it was it was really bad i'm surprised that when they redid that they redid uh not this one but the other one gladiators mm -hmm. why didn't that take off it seems like that would take off they had hulk hogan Layla ali gina carano was one of the uh, ass kickers mm -hmm. what channel was that though it was, it was buried, nbc was it? i think it was during the writer's strike was it during the writer's strike that's, that's right. what it was yeah. oh. writer's strike yeah but it's still a reality show like those th that seems like it would be an easy one to do like they you know that uh, Wipeout is kind of similar, but no one kicks your ass. Right. You know, people love that American Ninja shit. Warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another I don't know. One. I don't know why it didn't actually continue as well. I figured, well, you know, it has a little bit of distance in it and two seasons, and that shit was done. Yeah. Well, whenever you have, like, people that you have hired, like you hire a Josh Barnett and you, you have to smash some dude who's competing. It gets kind of weird. It's like it's not you're not really you're not competing against another person. You're competing against a hired guy mm -hmm. who's designed. So the if the guy gets hurt, if someone gets hurt and like you hurt him, like I it could be pretty easy to sue the company that makes that show. Like you're an employee. 
If you if you know some dude makes waivers. a run at you and you fucking clothesline him and he's paralyzed, yeah. But waivers, man, they fight those things. And when you fight them, if a if a lawsuit is strong enough, it's got enough power behind it, enough legal power behind it. I wonder if that was it, or if it's probably not. It's probably just ratings. I think it was just ratings. Yeah, I think it was just ratings. It's interesting when you think about what guys are capable of, like physically, with the maximizing your genetic potential, mm -hmm. like. There's certain there's a certain level that you can't get past. And it's one of the reasons like when everyone talks about like steroids and performance enhancing drugs and what's what's fair and what's not fair, the hundred one thing that's one hundred percent not fair is nature. That's true. It's not fair at all. Nature's a bitch. Those Nature fucking... will murder you, will drown you, will set you on fire, yeah. and will also just let you show up, you know, the the proverbial gene pool that's been pissed in. Uh, with you know, get born with stubby fingers or mm -hmm. you know, half a leg or like Down syndrome. Like, well, good luck. Yeah, good <laughs> see luck. how that works. Yeah, and if you're an athlete, no matter what you do, like there's certain guys. You just you know the Herschel Walkers, there's certain types of dudes that just are always gonna have that giant advantage, no matter and yet, what you do. Herschel was a fan, he was a a, a really well versed. Uh, you know, he had a good career in the NFL, but he never was the guy. More than anyone else. I mean, he had always he he had some years where he and you always knew he was solid, but he never was the top dude. Really, I didn't know that. No, he was never the number one guy. And often towards later on in his career, he was usually the backup guy or the dude who got brought in for all the all-purpose yardage or uh, well because Herschel could run and catch and possibly I bet if you threw the ball to him, he could you know he could throw a pass downfield. Right. He could probably play defensive end. It just Right, and then they would do those NFL uh, off-season competition things, right? Where they'd take all these different players uh, on NBC or something, and they would all compete against each other in little events, uh, throwing the football through through uh, hoops and uh, through tires and uh, sumo in the beach sand, all this different stuff, right? Battle of the Network Stars, something, right? Was basic, that, it was like that, that kind of thing, called? but just for NFL players. The NFL would do it, and Herschel Walker won every single one of them. He was really? the, every time, but he was not the best running back in the NFL during his entire career. He was not the best fullback. He was, but he could play fullback, running back, quarterback. It, he didn't get fucked up either. It's like you, Bo Jackson's out there crushing everybody, just just eating yards up. Boom, his hip goes out. Right. right? Or uh, Steve Etman taking. Uh, Interceptions and running him back ninety some yards as a defensive tackle or D end, and boom, his knee gets blown out. You know stuff like that. Not Herschel Walker. He doesn't get hurt. Yeah, it's weird, right? Well, yeah, he's he's a specimen, but he never was. Like I said, he was never the number one guy. Right. Did you see that thing recently about Jeremy Horn? Jeremy Horn uh, he said zero injuries zero over a hundred and seventeen yeah. fights or something. Yeah. That's insane. I have no idea. He must be made out of. Fucking flubber or rubber maiden or whatever, you know, he just bounces back out. Yeah, they call him Gumby. That's always been his nickname. But, right. You know, he just says it's just he focuses only on technique and he's never mm -hmm. been a strong guy. Well, he he's got a point, and it's something that I've stressed a lot uh, when we talk about fighting, and that is so many guys have learned how to be stronger and faster with or without drugs, and learn how to defend certain positions and 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 hit hard. But they don't have a full, well-rounded skill set. They've all got these plan A's and no plan B, and their plan B sucks. And their plan C isn't even a thing. And then when they slow down a step, 
they lose a little bit, they come up across a guy who's either stronger and faster or just a little better striker or too too good of a too good at something that will just derail their plan A, they start losing. When they start losing, they just nosedive. They lose four fights, five fights. These guys that would go out there and mop these dudes up, boom, 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 turns the corner, they can't sustain a career because they have no technique. They do not have the finesse, the uh, the touch, the feel. They don't own it. They never developed it. They just became really strong, really fast, hit hard, overwhelm, out-athlete their opponent. Would you call a front-runner? Uh, yes, for the most part. And watch, you know, you, you watch these fights and how, you, oh, man, this fight's going to be so good. And then it's... Whoever gets out first, oh, that guy wins. Mm. <laughs> whoever's game, whoever's plan A starts first wins the fight. It's interesting when you look at MMA too. It's so few guys are what you would call durable. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult to like like you see like Stipe Miocic mm-hmm. versus uh, Junior Dos Santos. Sure, one of those crazy fucking five round wars. There's so few guys that can engage in those kind of wars and 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 and. And make it out of there, okay? Yeah, that's true. And honestly, especially as a heavyweight, uh, with all that power and, and strength, you go through that, what's your next fight going to be like? Yeah. And your next one and your next one. And how many of those do you really want to get involved in? Yeah, like when you see a guy like Junior and you see those wars that he had with Kane, and you know, you knowing, you're, I mean, you've had a long career, man. You knowing like the toll that a fight like that takes on your body. Do you see him diminished at all? Do you see him slowed yes, down? He, he's a step. He's a step slower. Junior is a step slower. He's not quite as durable. He doesn't react the same way to getting hit as he used to. Uh, you know, no. And and here's the thing: someone might get on Twitter after this and go, "Oh, Josh Barnett says that you're not as good as you used to be, Junior." It's like, nah, that's not an insult. I'm. It. What it's saying is that you're the. What do you have been through? What you have done through to yourself in training and what your body is and isn't willing to accept or isn't willing to or is able to do just by the natural string of how things went in terms of your career to this point, this is what it is. Take what, what, what you have now and adapt it. It's, in the end, it's really only it's up to you to, to decide whether or not what you're going to do is going to be successful. If, you can only, if you're so set in your mind that it can only be done one way then when that way is no longer what is best for you to do as an athlete, prepare to have the shit kicked out of you. Now, if you're willing to adapt, reapply the things that you've already done well, add some new things in, just do them a little differently, make small changes, well, then now you can go ahead and you can have 19 years of career instead of seven, six, whatever. You know what I mean? That doesn't meek. That doesn't. If you could run out there and double leg everybody in the beginning, but now you can't do that anymore. But instead, you were able to set your double leg up. It makes people react, hit them on the way up, or hit them and then get a body lock and finish that way. How is that any fucking worse than what you were doing before? Just because you didn't do it how you used to, but you're still getting to where you want to be. To me, that's still success. It's it's an interesting situation where you see there's some guys that still have like a single-minded pursuit. They have a single-minded skill set. Like mm-hmm. they just want to wrestle and box. That's it. They never throw leg kicks. They never. And those guys are going to get their fucking shit pushed in once they come over that 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 imaginary line. You don't know when that's going to be, but it's going to happen. And then they're going to fucking nosedive. They're going to be washed up has-beens. So it seems like in this day and age, especially, you kind of like. 
okay, like it's certain divisions. Like there's certain divisions. Like say if you want to fight flyweight, you better be able to do everything. Mm -hmm. You know, Mighty Mouse is just so goddamn good. You're going to fight is. that guy, you better be able to do everything. And he's a rarity. Uh, yeah. Most guys are not going to be him. Right. And I've, I've known DJ since he was just this kid up at the gym who was too small to really get any fights in a weight class that he really belongs in. Mm -hmm. And uh, he trained diligently over, even when he knew he wasn't going to get fights, he was in the gym day after day, training and training and training, training hard, training easy, training fast, training slow, training, and doing what Matt had, need, told him that he needed to do. And that's why he is the way he is now. Uh, when I trained under Matt, I did the same thing. I trained constantly. I trained when Matt wasn't around. When it was my own free time, I spent that going over what, we, what was working, what wasn't working. Why was this working? Why wasn't this working? How can I make these better? Uh, shadow boxing, figuring things out, altering, and, and the things that Matt would say, well, I need you to do this. Uh, I don't really understand why or what. Uh, can you explain it to me? Well, because I need you to do this so that you can do this create elicit this reaction whatever well i still don't get it but i know what you want where this is supposed to lead to i'll figure it out i will play with it and play with it and play with it and play with it not talking about my cock but <laughs> in addition to that i will keep playing with it until it makes sense to me and then i can come back and now i can ask a question that has purpose to it instead of just i don't get it of course you don't get it you're not going to get it. Lots of things you're just not going to get the first time until you live in it, until you wrap it, wrap it around you like a skin and understand it. Ah, And then you might even make a decision to go, what you want me to accomplish with this, it isn't that effective for me to do it this way. But if I just make a little change to it because of the way I'm built, because of my own natural tendencies, what have you. I can get that. I can get what you want and, and do, do what you want until the weekend end of that end point. We can get there. And, but you can't understand that until you've taken the time to make that thing yours, to fully understand it. And there's some things, there's some te techniques of Matt that he's shown me over the years that I can teach others. I can't pull off worth a shit. It's just not my move. I'm not really built for it. He was built for it, and he made it work better. And the same was with Paulson, you know, just sitting there and, and taking all this information in and understanding. And Paulson's background is even more varied than Matt's. So he'll come at me and go, okay, hey, do this. I'm like, well, that's really from left field. Okay, but there's a reason. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure that out. Is that one of the more frustrating things about being an MMA fighter when you try to talk to people that don't know fighting? is there's so much complexity and so much technique involved and the person on the outside it seems to be like a brute sport involving strength and weight mm -hmm. and it does involve those things uh but it's what's that aliens but it's not Take... <laughs> oh sure enough. we had, uh, we've had alarm issues in this fucking building I heard. I saw them all trying to get in. I had to fight my way through the front, to the front Glad door. Glad you made it through, dude. Nah, you know. But you know, when a lot of people don't understand how many different sure. techniques are involved and how much, how many variables are involved in training. I can't be too angry at the ignorance of the casual fan. It's not their job to be that first. The fan that, that does go that extra mile and learn about the history, learn about why this technique would work and who these people are and where they come from and what this is and what that is, that's awesome and amazing. And 
I really appreciate that. I don't begrudge the person that doesn't. I don't like it when they say really ignorant, mean-spirited stuff. You know what I mean? And but that's a different thing altogether. That's yeah. somebody trying to be a dick on purpose to try and cut somebody else down. That, that's a whole different animal. But just not understanding, it's okay. I, I Personally, when I get into something, I do want to fully understand it. But that's just the kind of person that I I don't I even mean people that are into it. I mean the, the casual person oh. that is not aware of uh, MMA. Then, it's, it's a fascinating thing that so I, many I people. You. Yeah, that, that person is, you know what? It could be anything. And fighting is, while it is something that is available and exists within every human being, the ability to fight. Everybody has the ability to fight. You've that, never that, seen Brian fight, obviously. <laughs> I didn't say fight well. He doesn't even have the ability. He, doesn't even, <laughs> he, just, he just starts falling down. Yeah. I just try to kiss you or something. <laughs> yeah. Just make it really awkward. <laughs> you just, make it awkward so you just, just want to leave. His and mouth open so you don't want to punch his tongue. <laughs> just, oh, hold on. On. just hold on to your belt loops and just... Uh, <laughs> just start. <laughs> Get, offer, his, offer his shoes up to you. You would look really good in these. What, what's been the biggest change over your career? I mean, because you, you've been around for, you know, I think the first time I saw you fight was 96 or 97. Something something along those lines. What 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 year was Super Brawl when you were fighting in Super Brawl? 99. 99. That's when it was? Yeah, 99 was the tournament. Uh, 2000 was Dan Severn. And then 2001 was my first UFC fight. So what was your first MMA fight? Your first ever MMA fight? Uh, my first ever MMA fight was probably... It was 1997 of January. I was on winter vacation from the University of Montana. And I got a call from an old wrestling coach. Uh, if I... Because he knew I was training. He knew I was into it. And at the time, he was actually doing Matt Hume's website. And so he goes, hey... Would you be interested in fighting? Uh, sure. I go, all right, who? Uh, Chris Charnos. Oh, hey, that guy's fought in Super Brawl, right? He's like, yeah. Okay. Uh, when? It was like in 11 days. Okay. What do I need? Where do I, when do I need to be there? And I just, I trained with a, an old training partner of mine, this guy, Edwin Romarosa. We used to do Kali and some Thai boxing and self-defense stuff, knife fighting, all kinds of shit, right? But we're all neophytes uh, at the time. But we did the best we could. I would run up the hill uh, from Ballard to, to Finney Ridge. I would meet him. We would either go to the park, and he would have me do stuff like throw on the bag, the big army duffel full of gear that we had. I'd throw that on, and I'd hit tie pads on an incline because it was fucking hard as shit, right? So I had huh. to kick up, and I had to crawl, walk up this hill and kick these pads. And then he would have me do stuff like we didn't have mats and things like that, so I would just be on the carpet. I'd just sit there and take a position. He'd blindfold me and just fucking jump on me. From any blindfold position. you would blindfold jump on Blindfold me and just jump on me, and I'd have to figure my way out of whatever was going on. I had to feel it. I couldn't, I couldn't tab A, slot B. I had to figure out what was going on and get to where I needed to be and then finish. It's like some Pink Panther type shit. Kind Remember of. That dude, yeah. Kendo would just jump out at him. Yeah, just come out of the out of the closet <laughs> with a fucking that? kendo stick and take me out. I mean, it wasn't far from it. Uh, but in the end, it was about sharpening the, the mental aspect of it and just being like, all right, you're going to go out there and you're going to destroy this guy no matter what. And I choked him unconscious in two minutes. Well, it was, it was about sort of like making up the training as you go along trying yeah. to figure it out being we didn't creative. even have real mma gloves we had to make them out of harbinger 
uh, bag gloves. We had to cut the bar out of the palm and cut something else off. And there you go. There's an MMA glove. And then we didn't have real trunks. We didn't have we didn't have anything. I mean, there was no MMA gear that you could just. I went to a sporting goods store to get uh, some of my other equipment, and they're like, "What do you need this for?" Like fighting huh (laughs) what are you talking about and even most of the time so my first fight was 97 then i would fight guys whenever i could on mats here there whatever it wasn't like i was dojo store dojo storming back in college i would just hey i see you're doing martial arts that's pretty cool you trained a while yeah what do you oh i did an american kempo oh that's great uh what do you think of the ufc ever watch that oh it's fucking badass man i love it it's cool awesome Want to fight? What? Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll we'll negotiate the rules and uh, we'll just we'll fight right here. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then it's I just back off and you know no gloves no nothing like let's go. Just boom! I I remember picking up this dude from the East Coast and shooting in on a double, picking him up, skying and boom, slamming the shit out of him. And we had this big cargo net hung down because there was all these. Uh, Full courts, uh, basketball. There's like three or four full court basketball courts that went uh, uh, perpendicular to this whole thing. So you're running up and down on the other side, cargo nets to keep balls from flying over into this other and onto the matted area. And also uh, there was a rock climbing wall and some other little stuff. So to keep the basketball stuff in the basketball area. And then there was like a little room that they had built for a women's workout room. So there was little cardio machines with little windows that they could look out across the mats and onto the basketball courts. People would stop playing basketball and hang on the cargo net thing and just cheer and talk shit and whatever. That's Mad Max shit. That's beyond it's, Thunderdome. I, I mean, two men enter, one man leave. It wasn't a lot of people, but I remember I skied this big old dude, slammed him, wham, and he turns over, and I throw my hooks in, I splat him face first on the mat, and I'm just 12 to 6 elbowing him in the back until he quits. You know, just stuff like that. And... You know, the best was always you'd see a guy talking to his buddies about how tough he is, hitting the heavy bag downstairs, and that would be the dude I'd always like. Oh, hey man, I see you got some experience. You ever fought <laughs> before? And he's like, Oh yeah, sure. What want to fight? Uh, okay, plow. Just started. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you got your training in. Yeah, because I, I had that first fight, and Matt goes, "That was really cool. We want you to come back and fight again in the summer." And at this point, I was just the dipshit who had showed up. Was like, who the fuck is this guy? And how old were you back then? Nineteen. Nineteen. In fact, this dude in line is talking to me, just making conversation because I'm this new face around. And Charnos trains at AMC, and he's a he's already a pro, and he'd be, he'd been known. So I'm just this kid from Montana in their highs, even though I'm from Ballard. And uh, he's just asking me, "Oh, where do you train?" I go, "Well, you know, I used to train, you know, church basement." with this other dude and whatever and I train at uh, Jim Harrison's uh, Bushido Bushido Kankarade and and uh, uh, in Missoula and they're just like oh okay well uh, cool because everybody thinks I'm going to get murdered like who fucking trains in church basements what fucking idiot is this guy where'd they find this moron he's going to get murdered like I can't believe even the guy sitting next to my mom filming it is cheering for Chris kick his ass back to Montana. My mom's like, oh, come on. It's my son right now. He's like, oh, I know. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just playing around. You know, Chris, Chris won't hurt him. What was like your motivation back then? Do you think that, did you think that this was going to be a career or were you just enjoying yourself? 
No, I I intended fully to. This was a point. There, I, I told the people that I trained with back at Jim Harrison's place, which is, by the way, that is a put up or shut up. No bullshit. If you come in trying to be a big shot, you will get your fucking teeth knocked out. And you don't. That's not the place to try and be a tough guy. And uh, Jim Harrison is about as tough and as mean as they come. Uh, he's he's a uh, was a big help towards me developing who I am as a fighter. He was the first U.S. light heavyweight kickboxing champion. He was a judo champion. He fought the bare knuckle karate back in the day, like with Chuck Norris and all of them. He was uh, Superfoot Wallace's trainer. This dude is legit. And uh, so I mean, we'd get guys that come in the gym, and they'd start doing all this stuff and acting pretty cocky, and we'd just take turns like, "Hey, who's gonna kick the shit out of this guy tonight?" <laughs> so, uh, so I'm out there uh, training, and I said to the the junior instructor there, I said, "Well, you know, hey, my goal is by the time I'm 24, I want to be in the UFC." And the dude just kind of chuckled, and he goes, "By the time you're 24, you're gonna win the UFC." There you go. Fuck, yeah. You were correct. I, but so you thought there was a career in this from the very beginning. Yeah, I watched the tapes in Japan. I saw the U.S. I just thought, with this, I don't know what kind of a living one would make. I imagine you could probably sustain yourself. But uh, I knew that I would get a chance to see the world and beat up its people. <laughs> so that was your actual approach. Like, you from the very beginning, beating up these guys in a basketball court, you, you were thinking, well, this is just training yeah. towards my ultimate I, goal. I need to fight. I All these guys are showing up with 250-0 and 0 records and all this crazy shit, and I'm like, I don't have 250. I better get to – I'm way behind. I better start <laughs> fighting people. You know, how, what am I going to do when I, re, I, I fight the guy that's got at least, you know, 95 fights? Fuck. You should really write a book about all this shit. Because you, you were one of the, I mean, if you really think about it, you were one of the real pioneers. That there was, you were around just a few years after the beginning of the UFC. And, you know, you won the UFC title, what was that, like five years after you first started fighting? Uh, from 97 to 04. So. Was it 04 that you won? Yeah. Hmm. Wow, why did I, I think, think it was over? No, sorry, 2002. Yeah, 2002. Because so five I, years. Because I wasn't working for the UFC when you won. Yeah, five or six years of training with uh, three years of uh, three years of wrestling, two years of judo. That's pretty crazy, man. That's pretty crazy. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, that is a really crazy path. You really should write a book, man, because I, to go through that I'd and like to be to, around but today. But I worry about all the people that would get thrown under the bus. Not on purpose, just, mm -hmm. man, I've seen some shit. I've heard some shit. I've been around some shit. I prefer to keep that yeah. on the DL. Well, that brings us to one of the things that we were supposed to talk about on this show that we need to talk about. Um, John Wayne Parr was on the show, and John Wayne Parr, who is a great guy, I love him to death, uh, I really enjoyed talking to him, but he had one particular story that pissed you off. And it was a story about training with you. Mm -hmm. uh, it was before you fought Minotauro in the New Year's show. Yeah. And um, well, let's just play it, and we'll get you a reaction to it, because I know you really want to talk about this. Rappling. He's got a yeah, like, catch wrestling. As, as a future yeah, drive. Uh, do you want to hear a funny story? Sure. Should I tell this one? So, uh, <laughs> so I... I um, I meet Cub Swanson, and Cub Swanson's a cool dude, and we're, we're hanging out. And then my first day at Eric Paulson's gym, uh, they, it's Muay Thai day, okay? And I'm the I'm the new guy. I know nothing. No one knows who I am. And then so Eric Paulson's like, okay, Muay Thai guys, put your gear on, guys. Okay, so uh, Josh Barnett, you spar this way. He points to me. 
and uh, so we start and I'm moving around like inside kick jab and then uh, Josh throws something I'm like out and then I'm in boom 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 and I'm going again he throws a kick whoa air and then this, this, <laughs> and then uh, cause, cause he's, like the he's, he's a big dude he's, he's a big dude he's so quite big I'm, dude. I'm in and out in and out fearing for my life just, just tapping away and then uh, we do two rounds after two rounds he, he takes his glove off and he throws it across the room he takes his shin pad off throws it across the room he packs his bag he storms out and then uh, they're going to Tokyo the next day to fight on the New Year's Eve um, Pride tournament. I don't forget who it was against. Um, and then about a week passes, um, Josh loses his fight. I get a phone call from Eric Paulson about three or four days later once, once I get back. And I said, oh, uh, hey, this is Eric. How are you going? Um, I just want to let you know that we blame you on uh, Josh's loss because he was fine right up until he sparred you and then some kid that he'd never seen before owned him in the sparring <laughs> and took away all his confidence so when he got to Japan he, he was a mess and no had, way this is a true story That's I kid you awesome. not well, first of all, how ridiculous are they to take a guy like you where they don't, but, you know... I was, I, was, I was just that new guy in the gym. It's like, oh, yeah, you spy him. Oh, you can cut it off there. So the the fight that you fought in Japan mm -hmm. for the New Year show was the the uh, Minotauro Noguera fight, yeah. right? Which, uh, that was a fight where you... It was a very close fight, and you actually had a leg lock locked out. No, no, that was the, the second time I fought him that year. What? And, uh... I had a nasty front choke on him that he managed to just barely escape. I picked him up and slammed him on his head. I, I whacked on him a bit uh, up top and down below, but uh, he pretty much stalled me out. He tried to hold me down most of the fight, and uh, in the end, they gave him the decision. In my opinion, what they wanted was a trilogy, mm -hmm. so I think it was a bullshit decision. But if I don't finish a guy and if the judges make a shitty call, oh, well, that's my fault still, not the judges. But that's neither here nor there. Right. This story really pissed you off, so express yourself. Well, for first of all, the, you could say, oh, if this guy came in and... and, and and I even made sure to go back through my mental Rolodex about this because I'll be honest, I had a pretty vivid memory about training with John Wayne Parr because I knew absolutely who he was when he showed up. I know he was not unknown to all these people at the gym. And not to mention, Eric Paulson it will make sure to introduce, if somebody of notoriety came in, if you showed up right now, Joe, if people has been living in a cave. He would talk, he would say, this is Joe Rogan, he did Taekwondo, he did this, and now you may know him. For, he, will, he always makes sure that everybody who shows up gets their due respect and is introduced properly to everybody. Uh, John Wayne Parr, I watched him fight at the Sands before he came and trained with us. I watched him fight Muay Thai. I'd seen him fight Muay Thai before. I knew who his wife was, uh, Angie Rivera. I'd seen her fight before. I, I knew all about John Wayne Parr before he'd ever gotten to our gym. And he shows up, and I'm going, oh, fuck, that's so fucking cool. And I made a point to come up to John and tell him, I watched you fight at the, at the Sands. I was there. I've seen you fight. I know all about you. And I deliberately spent time training with John as much as I could. As much as I could. So here's the thing. John had a f MMA fight coming up against... Uh, uh, Tony Tony Bonello. So he's at our gym to try and figure out this whole MMA game. And I even put extra time into John trying to help him out, trying to teach him about defending the takedown and try to be more defensive as a grappler and 
you know, we all, everybody there was really kind and helpful to him, especially myself. And I tried to spar with him as many times as possible while I was at the gym because he is such a good fighter, but at the same time, he's a lot smaller than me. So I'm not trying to win. I'm just trying to learn. I'm not trying to take 250 pounds and kick him and hurt him and bust him up and make this a competition about who's better. If anything, I would just play, 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 play. You know, his, his striking is so unorthodox versus a, sta- a boxing rhythm and, and even what you might consider sometimes a standard tie boxing rhythm. He punches on, on, on weird timing and weird, weird timing signatures and weird rhythms and his elbows are super high, which normally people would just be like, that's shitty, but he makes it all work. And he's got a great kick and good reactions and good footwork. So we played a lot. But there was never any ass kicking on my part. There was I never chucked my gloves across the room because this new guy just showed up and beat me up. It's like that's all fucking bullshit. Why do you think you would say that? Uh, maybe he's been punched in the head too many times. Maybe he sees that as his opportunity to get some sort of fame. I guess he's got a documentary out, which you know I don't know what he's lying about in that. But uh, clearly, this guy is delusional. Um, and even still, there's like that unwritten rule about training, right? You mm-hmm. don't talk about it. And, you know, that being said, when we did spar, there was at least there was one time where I put him on the floor by accident, just timed a right middle kick against his right hand, and it just clunked him right, right in the right spot. Down to the floor he goes. And we laughed because we thought, huh, I go, I didn't throw that hard. He goes, man, that was just that was just a hellacious. That was really well placed. And we just what, what did we do? We figured out how to repeat it because we thought, huh, if if one could land that kick just right, be a great kick. It'd be a great thing to have in one's arsenal, especially if you're not even trying to hurt right. someone. They get hurt so bad. They drop. Well, down and, 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 you know, I got a big, big, heavy leg, you know, so I, I don't fault him for that. It's no it's not like we're trying to win. How many it's times do you think you sparred him? Fuck. Uh Six, seven, eight, eight times, whatever. I mean, he was there for a good bit, and then he disappeared, which I guess he, he took off to Thomas Denny's. Uh, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, it's not like he was having to pay to be at CSW at the time. But, uh, you know, when it came to MMA, he got murdered on the feet and on the ground. And not because he's a bad striker. It's because he didn't have the rhythm yet. You know, mm-hmm. it, the it rhythm was, of stopping takedowns, right? The rhythm, the you know, being, being able to enough. pay attention of uh, the takedown distance, the clinch distance, which which doesn't end. Um, you know, all kinds of little things that change the way you pattern your shots, the way you would angle, the way you would footwork. Uh, so, you know, just in a straight tie boxing set scenario, of course, he's very relaxed. But with MMA, with everything that comes with it, he's not so relaxed, which is no fault of his. Yeah, he talked about not pursuing MMA because he was such an expert in Muay Thai and he didn't like the fact that like when he would do jiu-jitsu or wrestling or anything he just was so out of his element he didn't didn't like being a beginner what again. is that what is that well you know but that's that's quitting that's what that is <laughs> he wasn't fucking good at Muay Thai to begin with either I promise you Right, but he was by the time he started and that's hard for people to start over it's I, like taking a guy who's, I don't here's the thing he, by the time he started MMA, he was already good at one thing. He got so used to being good at one thing, he couldn't stand to be a white belt again. Mm-hmm. Well, then it definitely wasn't for you. Right. And uh, I guess you don't like potentially learning new languages or uh, reading new books. Learning new- That's fine. You could stay in your little hole. And you know, clearly MMA wasn't for him. 
Some people, though, they get a little bit of success. I mean, not a little bit. Obviously, he got a, a large amount of success. Which and money do you think he made Thai boxing? I mean, very really. little. Very exactly. Little. So he probably thought MMA was going to be a way to, to get more notoriety, more money, more whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when he realized that wasn't going to happen the way he thought it was, he quit. Well, you see guys that have really decorated Muay Thai careers and they struggle to make it in MMA. Sure. Cyril Diabate is a good example. And he's a guy who's pretty successful in MMA. He too, was pretty successful. But really good at Muay Thai. Yes. You know, I mean, a world champion at Muay Thai. And this, that transition is, is, it ain't easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it, That's right? That's true. And, uh, but as far as kicking my ass, that man has never kicked my ass in his entire life. That's weird. And you know what's even so weird is I was a John Wayne Parr fan. Mm -hmm. You know, I, mm. I meet the guy at my gym and make a point to not only help him, but to train with him, to learn from him, to have that experience, to be there. You'd be like, oh, you know, when am I going to get a chance to train with John Wayne Parr again? I want to have the both of you on a podcast next. <laughs> it's going to be so fucking oh, weird. All, all that could happen is he's just going to go, well, no, it happened this way. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. All right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Knock me out right now then. If uh, that's what you want to go on with. But it's just dumb. And, uh, and then recently someone dug up the whole Hector Lombard stuff again. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, why? And I thought that was done because we have a mutual friend through the gym. And he says, oh, you know, Hector, he's, he's sorry. He apologized for all the crap before. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, we never had a problem with Hector at CSW, really. And uh, even the night that Hector called me out at Bellator, I, I the the day before weigh-ins, I'm, Hector, how you doing, man? I think you're going to do really great. You know, blah, blah. It's still backing him up and then only to have him say oh i want to fight this guy like well, what the fuck man he said that at the weigh-in when did you say that after, uh, the after, the, after he won his fight at bellator and this is when he was the mel the middleweight champion at bellator? uh yeah like, who do you want to fight next he's like i want to fight josh barnett and like what? what do you want to fight me for what the fuck dude this is the josh, other day you're ruffling people the wrong way you're ruffling well, feathers what are you I, doing I, man you know what maybe. maybe i i will i i will accept that i ruffle feathers you're i rub people the wrong way motherfucker from I, way uh, back I will ruffle feathers, especially in the case that I will call things like I see it. I don't let bullshit slide, and I have absolutely no—I uh, do not suffer fools. So if you come at me with a bunch of just ignorant, stupid, whatever, if you've built your whole life, this whole construct around who you are and what you do, based on a lie, based on you know something false, something bullshit, some, I'm, just, I'm not going to accept that, and I'm not going to respect you. If you don't have to be the best, you could be the worst. But if you're an honest person, you're a real person, then I, I don't give a shit. That's not, I'm not really impressed by people that can try to portray being something that they aren't or make themselves into something that they aren't. I'm more interested in the people who are exactly who they are, and that's fine. And understanding that they have weaknesses and strengths and being able to grow and, and be a person of integrity and being a person that is true to who they are and true to me. So that will cause a lot of issues with folks, especially the fact that I deal in entertainment. You know, whether it be fighting or the acting or anything that I do, there's a lot of false bravado, a lot of made up, uh, you know, machismo. But, yeah, uh, posturing. Right. So Hector, the first time, so he says the reason that we had beef was because he broke my nose the first day of sparring, and I hated him ever. I, I wanted, I hated him ever since then, and that's not fucking true either. The first day he ever showed up at CSW, he had come up from Team Quest. He wasn't going to train there anymore. And uh, I think he still hates Dan Henderson. 
Uh, Why does he hate Dan Henderson? I don't know. That some whatever. I don't. I, I never asked. I just. Oh, he he sucks, man. He's a jerky. Uh, whatever. Mine. You know, Mine. I didn't get into it. But uh, the first day he came and sparred was actually one of the best days we ever had with sparring because he got in the ring. He wasn't trying to murder everybody. And, uh, you know, I fucking hit Victor rolls on him and took his knee. And he's just like, holy shit, that's crazy. How did you do? You know, we're all having a good time. But I'm tapping him out and taking him down. Whatever. But there's no animosity. We're, everybody's training and training and training. And he's always amping it up now. And then at some point, I show up at practice late. And everyone's on the floor Hector doesn't have a partner, so I just threw my shit on real quick. No hand wraps, no nothing. No one's going hard. I'm like, I'm just going to jump in and start warming up. All right. Touch, touch, tap, tap. Boom! He throws the biggest fucking punch he's got and tries to knock me out. Starts my nose bleeding. I'm just going, what the fuck? So then it's on for like 20 minutes, and I put a giant egg on the side of his head and shit, and then Paulson just so let you guys it go. Had a, you basically had a fight. Yeah, we just brawled it out and uh, with you know boxing, kickboxing. And then Paul's finally called called an end to it. That's fine. And then later on, at some point, he's sparring Mighty Mo, and Mighty Mo drops him. Boink. And Paul's like, "All right, all right, so you know, uh, lighten it up, lighten it up." Fuck, man, I ain't scared of him. I ain't scared. And Mighty Mo's like, "Man, fuck you. What? I I don't need this. I'm here to help you out. I've already got X amount of cars, two houses, whatever. You know what? I don't need this shit. I've already made money. You're the one who's down here trying to crawl up the ranks." You know, why you what are you going to get out of this? And so then things started getting a little worse. He started beating up on civilians, which is what I call like people that are not pros. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we would still spar and things like that here and there. But I always knew that with Hector, he was always going to go hard. He never had a light, not because he couldn't, but he wouldn't. And you guys, after you'd gone hard for 20 minutes, you basically fought it out for 20 minutes. I was done with it. I never, I wasn't mad at him. So you were perfectly fine with sparring him after that. He was, he made it clear who he was going to be in the gym. Oh, that's fine. I mean, one time we had a, a grappling tournament. I drove him out with me so we could all hang out. Everyone could be together. Uh, he came out to this fight out in Palm Desert where we had some guys fighting and I mean, every he was a part of everything with with part of the team, but we knew that he was unstable, but we knew what to expect. So, and Babalu beat up on him one time in the gym because he didn't like him at all because he was he would beat up on uh, because Hector would take liberties with people, right? That he that Babalu felt like well you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, then the last time we sparred. Uh, I get on top of him and I, you know, I'm working him over pretty good, but I'm not trying to kill the guy. And he freaks out and he's like, "I'm good, I'm good. You know, I'm tired, man. Why?" He's like, "What? What do you mean you're tired? I don't, every day you go hard and try to kill people, and the one day you don't want to go hard, you don't say anything, but everybody just expects that's what's going to be." Right. And so he says, "Oh, and this one day I got on top of him, beat him near within an inch of his life." And I'm like, "I didn't do that. I know I didn't do that. Yeah, I did. I pinned him, and you know, I was." I was leathering him, but not hurting the guy, you know, and, uh, you know, he thought he was going to die or something. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that to you. It's just, it's just training. And, uh, now it's like this thing again. It's like, you know, you didn't beat my ass in the gym. You're an incredible fighter. In fact, you're a better fighter than you even understand. Hector Lombard, if his head was right, would be untouchable. He is one of the most gifted, strong, fast at throw aside the fact that he just got popped for steroids even with <laughs> even with it you could you could find his his fucking uh his peers and give them all the same shit or different shit doesn't matter 
they're not going to move, have the strength and the speed like Hector is. Hector's unreal. Hector should be undefeated. But Hector's a head case. And that's why, you know, he'll never fully ascend to the top of the throne. Or really keep it if he can get there. Because he doesn't understand what it is that he has and how to use it best. But he is amazing. Don't get me wrong. That dude, gnarly. Yeah, he's a super athlete. There's no doubt about that. I've never seen anybody ragdoll Jake Shields like that. He, he, he threw could do Jake that. Shields around. He could do that to anybody in his weight division. He could, yeah. he could, he now, could somebody have a counter for or some, something? Yeah, I'm not saying he's, he's invincible, but I'm saying that what he possesses in athleticism and skill sets, he's actually a good leg locker too. You won't see him necessarily go for it, but he is a good leg locker. Yeah, there's a video of him in a grappling tournament. Oh, he breaks that guy's leg. Yeah. yeah. It's loud but, too. But, uh, like carrot. He's got, he's got, even more skills than he displays. But again, you know, you got to be able to put it together. But isn't that part of the beauty of MMA is that it is this weird thing that you just you can't just be a super athlete because there's other super athletes too. You can't just be uh, a technical guy because there's other guys that are technical too. There's so many variables. That's true. And you could be the, the best athlete out there. I know I fought people that were bigger and stronger than me and faster. And I've beaten them before. And it wasn't because I went and I, I fought their, their speed with my speed or, or used my strength against their strength. It was I found a way to bypass those things or to put them in such a way that they wouldn't even apply strength or speed where they should. They don't even understand that, that it's still available to them. It's just that they don't understand the position. They don't understand what's going on. They don't even realize what, what opportunities are there for them. Well, isn't it almost impossible, unless you spend decades in martial arts, it's all, almost impossible to have all the skills and all the knowledge at your disposal. Of course. It's, it's such a deep pool of information to draw from. It is. But, you know, if you want to have the, the biggest toolbox out there, then you have to spend the time to do it. When the coaches are done coaching you and you've left practice, how do you spend your time? Are you watching video, not just on your opponent, but just watching video on things for fun or, not, or, to, be, or to, to take a look at something and break it down and make it yours in, in a very highly technical aspect? Or are you uh, shadow boxing to make sure to work on keeping that jab inside? Or are you thinking about the things that you've been working on? Are you thinking about, are you mentally drilling like Gable says? Are you sitting there going through shot after shot after shot, setup after setup after setup in your head? Are you having a garbage truck come through in the signal right now? Is they, where they have Wi-Fi and garbage that. trucks right now? Is that, was that, no, is that was, what's, is that what's popping in the shit. hood? Yeah. Most they're people up, can't even hear that. They're up there like, I got a fucking hotspot, motherfucker. Bring me your trash and your recyclables. And check if your you, email. If you were, if you were going to start someone, That's where spam goes. <laughs> I know you train with a bunch of uh, young fighters now. You train a bunch of young fighters right now. Jessamine Duke, uh, Marina Shafir, Victor Henry, uh, Shohei Yamamoto, uh, Colleen Schneider, uh, Shayna. And if you wanted to start, say, if you were going to start from scratch, if you uh, were going to develop a program and take. Uh, athletes that had never fought before, never had any martial arts experience whatsoever, and turn them into professional mixed martial arts fighters. If you mm -hmm. had a uh, a curriculum, yeah, as it were, how would you start that off? Uh, first, first things first. What do you possess up top? Your brain. Exactly. If you don't have the type of mind 
that can be that dedicated, that obsessive, that that can that can be easygoing when you need to be easygoing and be completely unmovable when you need to be. Yeah, that unshaking and un unfettered confidence. And how would you develop that in a person? Is just, that something you either have or you don't have, or is it something that you could develop? You can develop it, but it's, I truly believe that for the most part, it's something that you are born with the ability to do. Uh, you, you give them adversity right off the bat. You give them struggles. You give them things that will confuse them on purpose. And you see, well, how do they deal with that? Do they quit? Do they fold it in? Do they throw a fit about it? Do they, do they throw a temper tantrum? How, how do you gonna, because what you have to do to get to the end goal is really irrelevant. Getting to the end goal is what's important. So if you had to fucking do coffee runs for two weeks in a row, if that was all, I mean, come on, what is that in the length of what your career would be, in length of what your training would be? Coffee to, runs, what do you mean? Like, like, going, just like go someone and, said, hey, Josh wants you to go get him coffee. Yes. How the fuck is that going to help anybody? It's, I, don't know it's, what you, I just made it up because made I've up. been drinking okay. coffee. <laughs> but but uh, if, if that was it, just to see them be like, well, I want to go train. I want to see what they do. Well, don't you think, though, see in, how bad in that, that case, you're dealing with people like, okay, some people will come to the table with a certain amount of mental toughness, a certain amount of discipline, a certain amount of uh, the ability to overcome adversity, and yeah. some people won't. Um, and you're only going to take the ones that will. Is it, is it possible to take someone who's almost essentially a blank slate athletically mm -hmm. and turn them into someone who could understand what's going on in their mind? Like, do you believe in, like, mental training? Yes. Or? It is possible. But, again, they would have to exhibit those characteristics, not through an athletic window, per se, but just through a determination standpoint. Uh, just through... You know, it's like the reason why pro wrestling gyms uh, back in the day, or even even currently, uh, in, in Japan especially, and the Lions Den, and the, they had tryouts. I had to go through a tryout. I beat two pro fighters, my first two fights, and I still had to go through a tryout. I still had sparring. I still had, I had to have a meeting with the coaches before I could join AMC's fight team, because. Just winning, just even being a good fighter wasn't enough. They needed to see what is this guy made of. Is he coachable? Is he, um, is he have the the mental capacity to to be in this environment and excel? Can he can he be one of those people that what we instill in him will stick? Well, that was what I was kind of getting to. Is there a way you could develop a mental curriculum? Because it seems like that is one of the <laughs> biggest parts. Of, of competing, one of the biggest parts of succeeding, and mm -hmm. of not tripping over your own dick, right. which a lot of people do in all sorts of things in life. You see it with stand-up comedians, you see it with musicians, you see it with authors. There's people that just don't fucking do the work, or they fuck up, or they don't follow through, or they take too much time off, or what... What, you know, the mental aspect of success, the, the idea of finding a goal, figuring out how to get to that goal, and then avoiding anything that trips you up along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about building a, a curriculum that's one-size-fits-all, because everybody's a little different. Mm -hmm. But uh, of, of the difficulties that you, that you named, uh, uh, failing or you know, not doing the work of it, some of these... Pussy. Yeah. Pussy. 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 That's a big but, one. But uh, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's very tight and small. Sometimes you just never know what you're what getting. I meant. I meant like what, <laughs> what Mickey said in Rocky. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. 
Uh, some of those things are okay. Failing's okay. Failing is okay. As long as you learn from it. It's some, one of the best right. motivators ever. What's not okay is distractions, not doing the work. Not There's a difference between not being successful because it just isn't learned yet, isn't, isn't, you haven't developed the capability yet, maybe you're just not quite strong enough, quite fat, things like that. Things that you, in time can be learned and understood and grown from. And then there's shitting the bed by not putting the work in, by having the wrong attitude, by showing up trying to win all the time, letting your ego get in the way, uh, things like that. And that's what you want as a coach. As a, okay, not even just as a coach. Let's take the, the, the coaching aspect out of it because this applies to life. As someone that's going to have somebody else apprentice under them, as somebody that has the ability to instill knowledge and understanding towards something that somebody else wants to work towards. That person who needs to learn this stuff has to have the right head. My old coach, Billy Robinson, said you need to learn how to learn. And that's a fucking fact. And so the co one of the, the mentor's jobs is to try and help guide this person to teach them how to learn. Because once they learn, it's the, it's the stupid old analogy of give a man a fish, he'll eat today. Teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. It is fucking that simple when broken down to its smallest pieces. You have to learn how to fish. And you learn how to fish. It doesn't matter if I tell you, okay, well, I want you to use your jab to score on this guy's chin. You will figure out the way that you need to, to use your jab to score on that guy's chin. You will make the jab that you possessed the most effective jab you have ever known. Because you understand. You know how to fish. You're not sitting there getting pissed off because you don't like the fact that you didn't hit him every time. Or you didn't, you're, 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 you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're too busy trying to win instead of trying to learn. Once you learn, you'll win. If you mm. try to win all the time, you're going to fail eventually. That's a big, that's a big problem in jujitsu. Marcelo Garcia talks about that a lot. <clears throat> he says that you have to open yourself up in training and you can't worry about being tapped. Nope. Ta being tapped is a part of the game. Get tapped and just move on. Don't worry about it. That's right. But it's what's most important is that you open up your game, and then in open instead of being like super defensive and never taking any chances, always trying to win. You don't you don't learn because you don't you don't get tapped, but you don't learn jack shit. Right. And there's always those guys. Like uh, every gym has that guy that's almost impossible to tap, but doesn't fucking tap anybody. Right. That's true. And and what that's another thing that as a uh, mentor, as a coach, or whatever you want to call it, that you have to look for is not the person. It's, there's always the person that's just fresh off the boat you know they just fell off the turnip truck whatever just getting into it turnip trucks turnip trucks that's that old one Is that's that old schooly well old schooly statement. no i mean there's turnip trucks that go through los filas all the time really oh they're all about turnips How many people over there buying turnips? turnip so trucks and so beet trucks and is there one turnip truck for the whole entire state of california well it's organic <laughs> it is organic probably two turnip trucks. it's gluten-free gluten-free turnips yeah I'm not worried about gluten anymore. <laughs> no, yeah. me neither. Back no. on board. Sugar, you know, yeah, you sugar know is worse is? than gluten. It's but that's what the gluten issue is. It's not a like um, the real issue. I believe with gluten is that gluten is all sugar. Like when you're well, not not gluten, but gl gluten containing products. If you have a lot of bread, if you have a lot of pasta, a lot of sugar in it. The real issue is sugar. High glycemic carbs. Yeah. That's the real issue. It seems to be, and I've talked to nutritionists about it, and they're like, well, some people are more sensitive, and some people aren't. The, mo the people that are most sensitive, it's usually because their patchouli is interacting with 
Ah, uh, yeah, karma. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, you know, crystals and and, and gluten have an, mm-hmm. uh, they they are the ones where the the intolerance is within the, that combination, not the person themselves. I get it. Yeah, the body is okay with gluten, but if you have crystals on at the same time, mm. depending on what harmonies they're vibrating at, oh, that gluten could be a, an harmonies. issue. Harmonies very important. But uh, I, I, I knew a girl named Harmony. Boy, okay, was you, she annoying? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! What color was her aura? <laughs> it's kind of a purplish. <laughs> but that that whole thing that gluten thing is like there's some to it like you're not really supposed to be eating bread all the time you're not really supposed to be eating pasta all the time and your body something obviously some people have a harder time processing all kinds of different foods everybody's diet's going to be different to but, the person but the one thing that will help everybody everybody listening to this if you hear all this gluten frad cut the fucking sugar out just cut it way back eat fruit if you want some sugar have a peach yeah. Have a, have a pair. It'll make a giant difference. We're totally getting off top. We're digressing, but but we're not because we talk about learning, right? And learning, you know, true. And yeah. and one of the things, even about the whole concept of uh, this gluten stuff, right? And bread and pasta. How refined is the shit you're eating, mm-hmm. too? Like, if you had bread that was com- almost as, as least refined as possible, I mean, it's going to be refined to some degree because you made it into fucking bread. Mm-hmm. But the least refined as possible... Like sprouted grains. is way I, different from cheese ball, white bread... Wonder bread type shit. It's all sugar. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. cheese ball white bread, and you, I've been known to be unhealthy to people. I w- you're a little cheesy, but it's, it's, a, it's amusing. Yeah. But... I, I, uh, I love sprouted bread. I like like Ezekiel bread yeah, and stuff sure. like that. I'm not, my body doesn't seem to react to that bad at all. But. Well, it does tend to burn a little bit on initial uh, touch from me, but that's because I'm just so unholy and satanic. That's the problem. Oh, the Ezekiel bread. Yeah, no, I it's just it. like it starts glowing hot. I didn't know you were unholy and satanic. Are yeah, you... all, all of the above. Wow. <laughs> How long have you been unholy? Uh, I think since the day I was born. Wow. I think Are when you I like born stabbed a bad the doctor. Sign or something? Are you a I've been child? down since I began to crawl. <laughs> <laughs> on the night I was born, I heard the moon turn a fire red. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you get these these new guys with their sprouted grain bread and their beets, <laughs> and you you get them to a certain point, right? And then here's the real trouble: they experience some success, they get to some point of understanding, and of they feel like they know what their game is and they know where they can win. Getting that motherfucker out of that hole, out of mm. that shell. That's hard. And that's unfortunately where a lot of times you just got to turn to a guy and be like, all right, I'm done with you. That's right. it. You have set your own limitation at this point. You have, you have created your own roadblocks and you don't even understand it. Sort of like what you were talking about with John Wayne Parr. Like John Wayne Parr not wanting to learn how yeah. to grapple because he was so good at Muay Thai. He'd already crossed the gulf and become an expert and didn't want to become a beginner again. Exactly. John Wayne Parr decided he was going to be a failure in terms of grappling and MMA. He decided that. It wasn't a matter of whether he could be successful or he or you know he could be mildly successful, greatly successful, who knows. Mm. But he decided that he was going to not be good. I had this so conversation. He wasn't. I had this conversation with a guy once about uh, this guy who was an MMA fighter. I don't know if to name his name, but he's a really good kickboxer who got into MMA and kept getting tapped out. Mm-hmm. And this guy said, "Well, he just doesn't have any talent for jiu-jitsu." And I said, that's crazy. I go, it's not that he doesn't have any talent for jiu-jitsu. I go, I'll tell you exactly what happens because I know those guys. They are so good at kickboxing, they don't want to do jiu-jitsu. Because if they do jiu-jitsu or submission wrestling or whatever the fuck it is, they're going to get tapped out. And they don't like getting tapped out. So they spend as little time doing that as possible and as much time hitting the pads, hitting the bag, Mm -hmm. working on their strengths, not working on their weaknesses. No one likes to feel like they're failing you know, it's it's a hard thing for people to do it to go back to sucking again mm-hmm. in some way. And I just started 
training Kyokushin Karate and in L.A. One of my students, Shohei Yamamoto, is a junior world champion and uh, he's a junior world champion Kyokushin. He's taken third and fourth in the weight category uh, champion world championships. He is also the youngest guy uh, to ever compete in the world open weight. He Whoa. was like 185 pounds or so at the time, 19 years old or so, and he made it to top 32, top whatever. He, he fought like Glaube or someone and lost, something like that. Wow. Fucking kid. I, I know karate has a lot to offer. I know all martial arts have something to offer, and I've always thought that Kyokushin was a, was a badass art and would be fun to do, and so what I do, I show up. Guess what? I got a white belt. I had to go buy a karate gi. I, had to, I have to sit there and sit in the back of the line with everybody else and be nobody, and that's okay because it, people go, I don't understand. Uh, how, come, how come you're here with a white belt training karate, doing forms, and because... I like being a white belt. I like learning. And in a way, it's kind of like my yoga because I can throw a sidekick, but if you make me do sidekick from that with the heels, to get, it's just it's a different way of doing it. I mm -hmm. don't know these forms. I don't know some of these positions to do these sort of things. So it makes my body stretch and adapt. And all I'm doing is getting better, learning more. It doesn't mean that I have to go out there and sanchin with my knees in and whatever and, and give somebody a, a karate chop to the neck. It's But... So just learning new movements. Yeah. Yes. It's always good to learn new movements. You were here once, and you were saying that after you left here, you were going to go train Savat. Yep. Yeah, I've trained Savat for about a couple of years, too. Well, I've never done any Savat training. What is, what you is would it? love it. Do, would I love okay, it? Okay, here's the simplest way I can, I can describe Savat. Uh, think of Savat as like the Western boxing equivalent of kickboxing. You're more Floyd Mayweather than you are, you know, Mike Zambidis. Mm-hmm. Hitting and getting hit. Mm -hmm. The idea of Savat is to touch and not get touched. Lots of footwork, using your lead, leg, lead, hand, uh, tons of footwork. So just not a lot of emphasis on power? No, I mean, you develop power and, and, and you have your kill shot opportunities, but really it's about being scoring, off-balancing, angling. There's a great fight, Raymond Deckers versus Pinocchio, this Italian Savat guy. And it's a fight, good fight. Yeah, we fight Pull with that low shit kicks. Up, Jamie, and, uh, Jesus Christ, Pinocchio beats what are we Deckers. Waiting for? Get the fuck out and of here! You're watching it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This dude beat Ramon Deckers. A Savat guy beat Ramon Deckers. Yep. Oh, How old five is, rounds. Is Decker like five? No, he was. He was. Little kid. No, he was at least seven and a half. <laughs> I think John Wayne Parr had just beat him up really bad in oh. practice, and his confidence was shot. <laughs> So uh, oh, Pinocchio no. beats Deckers, but how he does it is by scoring more, by being elusive, and, and you watch the two fighters, and you can see it. Absolute oh, difference. Oh, wow, Pinocchio is a real boy. So uh, it's, it's Pinocchio, bro. It's and, not Pinocchio. Uh, you don't even. You know. watch Deckers, and Deckers is full of power, tons of power, and when he kicks, you can see this just bone-shattering type stuff. What but, year was this? Uh, early 90s or So this late is why Ramon was still in the prime. Oh, yeah. He, Ramon was still knocking out ties over in Thailand. But the thing is, Pinocchio is almost never there to get hit. The other thing is, when he's taking these shots, he slides and moves with them. He always mm -hmm. takes the power out of it. And there's quite a few times he kicks Decker's legs out from underneath him while he's trying to, while he's trying to wind up on him. Really? And tags him with a lot of shots with, up, up top with the hands. This is very interesting. And very it's not that Deckers is a worse fighter than Pinocchio. Don't turn it into that kind of thing, you know, listeners. It's about style right here. This is what it came down to. It was a guy using a different 
tactic against, uh, you know, he's not going to match power with this dude. Who could? Right. Raymond Deckers was just a destroyer. Too much power. Kicked in the dick right there. Mm. Now, but, they're wearing those shoes. Why are they wearing the uh, uh, kickboxing Some boots? sort of fucking your whatever European League's thing about, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is back in the day when kickboxing was different everywhere you went. You and know? this is kickboxing. There's no clinch. There's no, no elbows. Clinch, no, no clinch, knees. no elbows, no knees. What so. do you think about that? Like the glory rules as opposed to full Muay Thai? Uh, Muay Thai has a tendency to get boring as shit when they get in the clinch and they're just throwing side knee after side knee and no one's really landing anything of, and they're hanging on each other. And I understand why they want uh, you know people to be at that mid-range or long range just tagging each other uh, because it looks more exciting to the, to the casual fans. I kind of get it that from that perspective, but I don't like it as far as uh, a, a stuff. Well, he just Do axe you see kicked that? him no, in the face. Yeah, was, uh, lead leg hook kick and then evaded his return low kick at the same time. It was barely a, it was more like a axe kick. It looked like a slap, like a foot slap. Inside low, high again. He's just and moving a lot. Constantly. And look, yeah. just spinning off of his kick. And, and sliding and, away as he's kicking, yeah. Uh, Pinocchio also beat... Uh, or uh, well, Johan Voss fought uh, in some matches, too, and lost. Wow. So, I mean, it's just applied. So, yeah, I love... Hook kick to the face. I love the the distancing, the speed. You know, one of the things I like to to use, if, if at all possible, and teach to people is that, you know what, how much do you think your leg weighs? Oh, like 30, 40 pounds. If you just got it up there as fast and as quick and as, con and as to the point as possible, if you score as clean as possible and as quick... I don't need to throw hard. I mean, force is, is uh, mass times velocity squared. So let's work on the velocity squared and not trying to generate more, more uh, uh, strength into that movement, but just speed. Right. So, get the so speed more Kyokushin style than Muay Thai style. Uh, well, but. Kyokushin has a tendency to kick, try to really you know, kick the baseball bats apart too at times. Mm -hmm. But with Savat, I mean, if you can or even watch some of the old American kickboxing stuff back in the day, and those guys were so adept at going from foot to hand to hand to foot and foot mm -hmm. to hand. Obviously, it was tailored to the game. But if you thought, you know, just watch uh, Guy Mesger, uh, uh, what's his, Arona. Mm -hmm. They're out there and there's bip, just a nice little kick, lead leg, high kick, and this whack, and all of a sudden Arona's on roller skates. And it yeah. didn't even look like much. Yeah, you're seeing that sometimes uh, today. You're seeing more of a karate style, like Machida is a perfect example. Sure. We, there's no wind-up. There's no step before he throws the back round kick. Well, he just throws it right from there. Pettis does that as well. Yeah. You're seeing a lot of guys that are front doing that. Front kicks taking people out as if mm -hmm. that was never a legit technique. You know what I mean? And there's a bazillion ways to throw front kicks. You can throw a tie-style push kick. You can throw the Taekwondo one where you – like Victor Webster has one of the nastiest push kicks ever. And he'll fucking, he's out here, and he steps in, he rides into it, and then he hits you right in the hip and makes you sit on the floor. It's like, fuck, dude, that sucks. And he just stomps right through your hip. And then you've got karate style. We pick it up and fold it and then punt, as Jim Harrison would say, with the ball of the foot. And you get him right in the, the chin, the solar plexus, diaphragm area. You could turn it over like Savat likes to do, and or even Kyokushin has it too. That's... Uh, uh, Kikuno's kick, the Mikazuki Gary, and punt it right into the liver. And it's, you know, ball of the foot. How mm -hmm. much surface area is that? It's just uh, the end of the hammer, the head of the hammer hitting right into the point. Yeah, then, there was a lot of old school Taekwondo guys that would throw round kicks, but they would throw it and land the ball of the foot like a front kick. Sure. 
That was I, a big thing they used to do back in the day. I kicked it. We're at the Eric Paulson always holds this camp uh, every year. It's a big full on. There will be multiple instructors teaching all this stuff, and all these people come from all over his affiliate gyms, and they pile into our gym during our training time. So he just integrates everyone together. And I always just tell Paulson, I go, don't stick the newbie fucking goofballs in there with me. If I've got a fight coming up and these dudes are in here, they're going to get wrecked. Like, that's, that's, this is not my job to help this dude have a good time at camp. I'm getting ready. Please just don't do it. Right. No, no, you could just, you could just take it easy. I'm like, no, they're not going to go easy on me, for one, because I'm me. And they want to either they're excited, scared, or want to prove something. So I don't want it. I don't even want to deal with it. But if I have to, I'm burying them. So... <laughs> That's just the way it is. So anyways, we're in there. We're kickboxing with this kid. And fucking, he turns it up. I'm like, God damn it. So what do I do? I step up, throw a left high kick off the lead leg. But I turn it over and I hit with the ball of the foot. I just stabbed him right in the jaw with it. He stuns. Puts his hand up. Quits for the whole day. He's done. He says, uh, I don't, mm -mm, I'm done. Forget it. That's probably a good idea, isn't probably it? Probably was a good idea. Probably got a concussion. I mean, whenever you're stunned, whenever you're like, that's my problem with tournaments. Like, especially those uh, kickboxing tournaments they're doing. A lot of these guys, are, they're getting essentially knocked out in their first fight. They recover. You know, they, they, they get dropped or stunned or fucked up. And then they have, like, you know, 20, 30 minutes for everything to cool down and really hurt. And then they get back in there and do it again. Yeah, I hear you. And uh, I was just having this, this conversation with somebody the other day about, uh, uh, I was with a referee, actually. And I go, you know... We need tournaments back in MMA. And you think like, so? And they go, well, you know, we can run tournaments. I go, no. I know the fucking stupid ruling where they say, oh, as long as you don't exceed a five five minute round in, the, in a night. And I go, well, that doesn't. If I'm fighting pro boxing, I'm out there for thirty six minutes. You're telling me that an MMA fighter can't go thirty six minutes? If it was, if you gave me thirty six minutes, then you could go two fives and three fives in a final. And He's like, well, there's guys that can barely get through one five now. I go, well, fuck, good. Hopefully they get the shit kicked out of them and they fucking figure out either A, how to be able to go past a five, or B, this ain't the sport for you. I mean, we're not supposed to make it so when you're a professional, everybody doesn't need to be able to compete. When you're an amateur, I have some understanding. Everyone should be able to get in the ring with a, with a modest amount of training uh, to go out there and do it, but not pros. Why do you think that they should bring back tournaments? Every combat sport in the world has tournaments. Kumite. Everything. Mm. And we love it. We love the shit out of tournaments. Japan loves everything fighting and going to tournaments so much they fucking make, they'll have a TV show and it's battle and there's a piece of celery versus a yam. Like, which is, I don't even know how you compare those two or why, how you make them fight. They didn't even give them little knives or anything. But for or a what? shield and a trident. A lot of pro fighters don't want to do tournaments because they feel like, like, say if you there's a four-man tournament. You have a fight yep. in the first round, yep. and you win in 10 seconds by yep. a knockout. And mm -hmm. then they go two rounds, and there's a draw, so they go to a third round, yep. and it's brutal. They're yep. all banged the fuck up, and then they have to fight you uh -huh. in the finals. And you went through 10 seconds of fighting, and they've been... They got the fuck beat out of them, and they're all banged up. It's they should not have been fair. a better fighter, I guess. Is that really what it is? What if the draw is? What if you got Fedor, and uh, your opponent got uh, Willie the Wimp? Willie the Wimp in his Cadillac coffin, and <laughs> Willie the Wimp got KO'd <laughs> in the first round, and then you went or what if what if three he had hard no rounds, and and then the other guy gets uh, Vanderlei, and he's Krokop. 
Yeah, well, you did do that. But you, so yeah. what? Fuck it. You know what I did? I laid in the back. I had IVs. I had ice on me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the, the biggest problem wasn't even the fighting. It was getting heat exhaustion before I even showed up for the tournament because dead summer of Orange County and we had no air conditioning whatsoever, no breezeways in that old gym. And I started off doing 10-minute rounds, just going through name pro fighters, owning them. And then all of a sudden, eight minutes, then six minutes, then four. Then I can barely get a two-minute round off without falling apart. And I'm just going, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then people start packing me with ice bags in between rounds and in between sessions. And all of a sudden, my energy would start to come back some. I just go, oh, well, this is fucked. But oh, well, let's get over there and do it. So you were training, and as you were training, you had no air conditioning in the gym, and you were getting heat exhaustion. Yeah, it was fucking 100 degrees outside of time. And that fucked with your conditioning when you actually went to fight because you never were able to push. By the time, I I, I could push, but I mean, there were things like when Noguera mounted me, right? I gave him my arm on purpose because I couldn't get him off a mount because I couldn't expend that kind of energy. Just wasn't there. So if he, I, I know if he goes to try and armbar me, that shit ain't going to happen. So this is just because of all the time that you spent in the gym under heat exhaustion. Yes. So you you were never able to do those ten minute rounds, those long rounds in the gym because just no, it just got too hot. Uh-uh. Why didn't you guys put fucking air conditioning in your gym? Not my gym, not my decision. God damn not, it, Eric Paulson. Is uh, it his gym? Yeah, it was. It's his gym. But uh, cheap fuck. I, uh, I'm just I, uh, I love Eric. I, I struggled to uh, to get back. Uh, until it took me about until next year before I really finally fucking felt better again. When I fought Nastula, I was still just struggling. My my CNS was shot, central nervous system. Close. Really, my all just from from the heat oh, exhaustion. Dude, so bad. Wow. What about Cronk Gym? The fucking Detroit. They would crank up the heat, and everybody I would know, box. Man, I, I hate that shit. Degrees. And everybody is is I'm more susceptible to it, I think, than others because I'm so white mm. and Viking like. Right. That. If, you know, a little bit of cold would probably would have done me some good. Right. If you were, you had some African dude in there sparring with you, you'd have an <laughs> advantage. Know. But uh, some people don't take the, the heat as well as others. And some people do. You know, it's just a matter of fact. And, and here's the thing. I got over there. I fought my ass off. I was exhausted. I could have been bowed out and been like, oh, no, Crow Cop, he's just going gonna to walk over into the finals. And everybody was going to be like, oh, he had a really tough fight with Noguera. That's acceptable. We'll give him a pass on that. But I wouldn't give me a pass. Fuck that. So what did I do? They put ice bags on anything that was banged up. Doctors came back, gave me an IV and some vitamins, and uh, hung it off of the, the locker door, and I just laid on the ground. And I had Megumi Fuji with me and my ex-girlfriend at the time and Eric and Hiroyuki Abe, my friends with me, and I just was there with them. And the, the refs come, the officials come back and go, so are you going to fight the last fight? I'm like, yes, I am. Damn right I am, because that's what a man does. And uh, I fought. An that's a- what round. a man does is in a tournament. That's what a man Most does is in a tournament. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't show up to, to to take second place. Right. I showed up to to take first or die trying. Mm-hmm. And uh, fuck it, you know. But why do you think that that's better to have a tournament? Like, what is it about it? Just because the public anticipates having those fights, it's watching so how it plays out. Interesting to to see. How, I mean, come on, look at March Madness. It's one of the biggest things ever. And if it wasn't a tournament, people would not be as excited. Right, but that's a tournament over a long period of time. They're not playing right, right. a bunch of games in a night. That's actually a perfect example why right. it doesn't apply. But it just I just mean the concept of tournaments. And even doing tournaments over over time is still great too. But the one night tournament is. Let's see who comes out on top. Plus, it's a great way to try and re-establish 
uh, orders. So you, if let's say you have a whole bunch, a pool, you got a handful of all these guys, and you don't know who really fits where. Boom. They go through this one-night tournament. Ah, oh, there's a winner. Someone was able to gut it out and come out on top and come over, uh, come out with all that, dealing with all that adversity. And then you look down the line, like, who did what? And then even the guy who did the worst in the tournament, let's say all of a sudden, non-tournament style, they start racking up the wins. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, look at that story. That person's coming back from what we would consider to be uh, disaster. And now they're Phoenix rising from the ashes. You know, it gives such an opportunity to... Uh, to exempt to show human spirit, to, to show overcoming adversity, and, and it's an instant trade-off. I think it's a great idea for grappling. Eddie Bravo had the Eddie Bravo Invitational, the EBI, uh, last week, and it was a tournament, and it was really exciting yeah, yeah. to watch. Watch guys make it to the finals, and watch guys, you know, you see the brackets play out. I think it's great for grappling. What I worry about it is with head injuries. I worry about guys fighting the first round, getting their bell rang, having some internal bleeding, perhaps, and then fighting in the finals. Well, I don't. I don't think that the medical um, uh, observations should be should be should be overlooked. I think that's important. But uh, I really think tournaments would, would help bring some excitement back to MMA. But then here's the other thing: I think five minute rounds are not long enough. I, I think agree we need ten you. minute rounds at the very least. Brian, I, you agree? Yes, I do. You see, you nodding your head over there, guys. I mean, frantically. Let, let's yeah. not even talk about how the ten point must system doesn't belong in MMA Sucks. at all. Terrible. But, uh, and I understood why they use the ten point because it's to try and keep people honest. Oh, you can see that they scored the round. That you, no one's sitting. That's as it's been explained to me. But uh, well, they just borrowed it. It doesn't. From boxing, it doesn't need it. Did. You know, he just. I liked it in Japan where they just look okay. And in Pancras, it used to be. Two judges on the outside and the ref. Their judgments mm. at the end. If they decide all three of them convene, up oh, he won. I see. I, I disagree with that, with using the ref. Because I think a referee should... I think that's a very singular job. And I think the referee's job should be making I can, sure that... I can, I can yeah. see... I can see the argument there. Yeah. I'm just saying how it used to be. But right. even still, no matter what the idea was, and, and back in Pride, it was you had your criteria. Matt would sit ringside with a piece of paper, one name and then another name, and a line down the middle for each side. And he would sit there, and he would put hash marks in each box. And those hash marks meant something along those criteria that were, uh, that were important, that mm -hmm. he could look back and it would help him remember how this fight went. Well, Matt's an excellent referee. Oh well, yeah. Well, and this is just him as a judge, judge rather. too. But uh, so I agree with. I'm more towards that side. But even still, now you see guys just gaming a five minute round, stifling, doing this, doing that, and then petering off to the fucking the stool, coming back out, and just trying to run the same thing or win two out of three, and then they walk out. Look at me. It's like, well, you didn't even really try to kick that guy's ass. Hmm. Well, I won. Have fun with that. What do you think about stand-ups? Do you, do you think that stand-ups should be a part of MMA? Yes. You but, do? But really? that has to be with... And the other thing with MMA is it needs to be more attention to stalling. If you're not trying to finish your opponent and damage them, take them out, you're stalling. What do you think about if they do have rounds? Like, say if uh, you go a 10-minute round. At yeah. the end of 10 minutes, you're, you're on top of the guy mounting him. Yeah. Start right back with the mount on the second round. That's an interesting concept, but uh, I like standing him back up on the feet again. But why? That gives a striker a big advantage. Uh, you need to be a well-rounded fighter. Right, but if you work so hard to get a guy to the ground, he didn't earn getting back up to his feet. Why should he be able to get back up to his feet? Well, that's the whole th concept of rounds is the restart of the contest. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Restart of you getting a chance to get back up. That's true, too. Yeah. So if he can survive the round, what does that mean? If it, if it is that dire to you that you cannot afford to have that guy ever get back to his feet, either by the round ending or by him escaping or the referee standing you up for inactivity, well, one, you're fucked as a fighter anyways. You're, you have a huge deficit. Mm-hmm. Number two, you better finish him. Right. You better finish him. That also goes to so, hey, if you're the greatest grappler submission guy in the world and you have no takedowns, enjoy getting your ass kicked. Well, there's a few fighters that are really good at holding guys down. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think it's important to know that a guy can hold you down. Like, Ben Askren's my perfect example. Ben Askren is such a good fucking wrestler that he gets a hold of guys and he puts them on their back and they can't get back up. And if that's the case, like, standing a guy, giving a guy a free shot to stand back up because Ben Askren may or may not be as active as mm-hmm. you would like or it might... but. Still, the guy who's on the bottom wants to get up, but he can't. Right. But, you know, you got 10 minutes to work, I I see. And uh, I think, honestly, with 10 minutes, I don't think Askren would have as many decisions as he does because while Askren has kept a lot of people on their back, I've seen him work a lot, too, looking for submissions, punching. He's not a power puncher. He's a a pillow puncher. But 1FC allows him to do knees to the head on the ground. That makes a big... That's another thing I would change. I think knees to the head, soccer kick stomps. You know, I'm all for all that. But at the very least, knees to the head change things. And uh, a lot. Especially even for the grappler. Uh, But with 10 minutes, you want to call Ben Askren boring. I think in 10 minutes, he's got finishes. Yeah. I I think that... uh, a lot of guys would have finishes, but the other thing that changes that is when a ref is standing over the top going, action, yeah. action, action. Okay, get up. You're yeah. stalling. You're cl- you know when a guy is stalling, you know when a guy is not. Yeah, but I think a guy who's stalling, if you can't get that guy off you, fuck you. Well, that's really a different do. fight then. That, that, is that, it, though? Because the guy, you are, you're on the bottom. You're still right, fighting. Right. No, no. I, I, I hear you that way, but... We're talking about prize fighting, right. entertainment. Mm, okay. If, if 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 it's the fight that you're talking about, that's not for entertainment. No one wants to pay to see that. You know what that is? That's catch wrestling in the 1800s. That's pro wrestling in the 1900s, where right. three hours plus of guys trying to get an advantage and can't because they're so well versed of each other. They're so tough. They're so skilled. One guy getting stuck on the bottom. He can't get up. There's no restarts. There's no nothing. There's no. There it goes. Let's well, see when that first fall comes. But that died out. It didn't if you work. Look, if you look at like say like what they were doing with Elite XC, that's like the worst case example of trying to make it entertainment. Sure, sure. And I'm right. not suggesting that you just well, explain shit what on they the, used to do. They used to make they, they used to stand, stand people, people up for like 15 constantly. seconds. Yeah, they would, 15 they, seconds on the ground. They stand you back up. Yeah, they stood up. Big Country. He was on top of Orlovsky, inside control, yeah. working a Kimura, or what you would call a double wrist lock. A double wrist lock. Yes. Now he. I don't know if he was ever going to get it, but he was in an advantageous position. He was working for a finish. He should not have been stood up. Yeah, and he's an expert in that particular style of yeah. fighting. He's a submission expert. He's a ground guy, and yeah. he wasn't just laying on him. He no. was trying yeah. to submit Arlovsky. And, uh, of course, with anything, you need, even as the sport sits now, we need better referees, and we need better judges. Yeah. That stoppage last week. Uh, oh, that was see. awful. That was... They reversed that. Oh, did they? They reversed it. Yeah, it's a or, no contest you know, now. Even when Faber is down there getting walloped on his shoulder, and it's like, show me something. Yeah. One, I, you couldn't see his thumbs up. I got it. Right. On, the, on the second hand, you can tell he's not getting his ass kicked right now. Right. Let it go. Yeah. Let when it fucking a guy's, go. When a guy's turtling and the guy's just hitting your gloves and arms 
and then the fight gets stopped. That is very frustrating. It I is. I have a problem with that. But I watched all these fights back in the day. I'd seen dudes getting shell-shocked on top, just, just artillery dropped on them, and surviving it. Then reversing the fight, dudes all totally, totally petered out. And, Brock Lesnar, and, Shane and Carwin. Eating, and just kicking the shit out of them. Yeah. It happens. And Brock Lesnar and Carwin, that's a good example, too. But no one wants to let that happen anymore. Oh, that's too brutal. Well, we're not. We're fighting. We're not doing patty cake. Well, there's always that thing about trying to make it more appealing to the mainstream. It'll be better for everybody. Uh, and, and, and yet, it's not better for the people that are actually doing it. No. It's definitely not better for someone who gets stuck in a position and they, you know, intelligently defend yourself. Well, guess what? There's some positions where when a guy's wailing on you, it's intelligent to just cover up. Sure. Remember uh, Tank and uh, Severn? Severn kept palm striking him mm -hmm. and just throwing all these shots, and Severn wasn't, he wasn't palm striking because he didn't know how to punch, just because he didn't want to break his hand. Right. No gloves, no wraps. So he's smacking uh, Tank, but Tank, he tries to get up, but he can't. Mm -hmm. Now... One of these modern refs would probably stop that fight. Oh, you're not intelligently defending yourself. He's not going to go out. He's not getting his bell rung. He's not getting the shit kicked out of him. He just can't get up right now. You hear what Frank talked about? Or when uh, Tank talked about it? Uh-uh. He said, I had oh, a nightmare. I was getting molested by, by Freddie, Freddie Mercury. Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and if, if Tank tried to get up, he was he was just getting controlled. Mm -hmm. He couldn't get up, but Severn didn't have the ability to really finish him either. Right. So... It is what it is. That's what it is. You but know, I don't fight think needed to keep going. But I don't Just, think that should be stood up. What right? about? No, not in that case, because because Severn was incredibly active. Right. He was trying. He just didn't really have the, the 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 skill. Ability. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's another one. Ruan Potts getting punched in the ribs and then stopping it because he's yes. just he's stuck Anthony there. Hamilton. Yeah. Do you see him tapping? No. no. Do you see him saying, "I want out"? No. Yeah, I didn't. I don't agree care with that how, how much he's getting punched in the fucking ribs. That, Let him get punched in the ribs. They stopped that fight just to rescue everybody from how boring it was, because he was just on top of him punching him in the same spot, and everybody's like, "This, we've seen enough." Ooh, look at that bruise. So what? It is bruised. This is a bruise. It's a very bad. Do he's going to be so sore tomorrow. His, he's going to have a black and blue spot. Yes. A real black and blue spot. Oh my god! I might even turn yellow and purple yeah, at some boobies. point. It could very well turn like a, a orangey, greeny oh, kind of a god, thing. Oh god! We can't allow that. That's what I'm saying. What if? What if? Stand them up. Yeah. Yeah. Or well, stop the fight altogether. That's not intelligent defense. There's You're not an guys, intelligent ref. There's certain guys that fight in the UFC where you gotta go, man. Who the fuck let you fight in the UFC? Well, too? they need a lot of fighters. They have so many events. Yeah. So 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 many events. They gotta fill them up. I mean, there's do you guys think there's too many? Do you think there's too many? Yes. Yeah, I do there too. There are. But, I do too. Uh, you know, uh, they have a plan for what they're trying to accomplish, and this is what they see is the is the path to doing so. You know what I think there should be? I think it should be an A-League and a B-League. I agree. I think there should be a UFC and a strike force. I agree. I if if Tuesday Night Fights should have one headliner type dude or one main card type guy mm -hmm. and arrest of just up and comers. Yeah, why not? I mean, and then the, those guys will graduate to become, you know. Right. Well, can you imagine if it used even even this, what if they what if they kept Strike Force and UFC and let's say Strike Force went Pride style and UFC was UFC and then they had a Super Bowl match every year and each year it would switch. One this year it's Pride it's Pride world rules. This year it's UFC rules. Oh God! I can hear it now. Oh, but the difference in the—if you can't fight, mm -hmm. and one or the other—if it is that dire to you as an athlete that you can only can you can only be successful in one arena, you're just not that good. 
Well, you're not that well-rounded. Well, for sure. But, I mean, anything you can do in one, you can do in the other, really. Right, but we did see big differences between guys fighting in the cage and guys that, fighting in the mm, ring. That didn't have anything so? to do with it, no. You don't think Krokop was no. talking about how big of a difference mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. was? Elbows mm-hmm. on the ground was a big difference, that, that, as well? That, that, that definitely changes some things, but no, I don't think that was it. So you think it's just a lack of preparation, proper I, preparation? I, I personally don't have a perfect answer for that, but I don't believe that it was that. Well, obviously, he did much better after that. Yes, he, he did. He got better at figuring out the cage and the yes. elbows on the ground and the defense. Yes. So it's probably just a lack of the proper preparation. Maybe. There's only a few places. Like, if you if you really looked at uh, young <laughs> athletes today, they want to compete in MMA, is there a dozen places in this country that you could go and get a proper education as far as, like, being a real professional <sighs> MMA fighter? Is there even a dozen? I, you know, well, I, haven't, I can't say I've done all the research to say... Conclusively, one way or the other. I know that AMC, CSW, one of the best. Uh, AMC is, I mean, Matt Hume is about as knowledgeable as anybody's ever lived. Well, and look, you know, Matt Hume and Eric Paulson are kind of cut from the same cloth, mm-hmm. in that their lineage comes down from Carl Gotch, from mm-hmm. the shoot, from uh, Sayama and Funaki, and you know, well-rounded, full meal deal dudes. They could do mm-hmm. everything. Yep, and uh, you know. So there's that, but uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine Greg Jackson's could probably make you a com- for us a hobby. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I've yeah. never trained under these people. I knew that I was very when I moved from <clears throat> when I moved from Matt's gym to go train somewhere else. It was really hard for me to find. There wasn't very many people back then, and that I felt like I could go there and learn. Where I wouldn't be the one dictating all the training all the time, I, I would be somewhere where I could learn and be trained. What made you decide to go from Seattle and then live in Southern California? How come you don't stay up there and train with Matt? Uh, at the time, it just wasn't really feasible. I didn't have the sparring partners, and Matt wasn't really around that much. So I was ending up having to do a lot of my own training. Because he was going to Pride to judge? He had a lot of stuff he on his plate, and... Uh, and and especially like I said, I had no sparring partners. I had nothing. Uh, I was Reese Sandy was my main dude, and we would do a lot of training together. Uh, every now, somewhat uh, Jeff Munson, but a lot of time I'd end up teaching Jeff, and even teaching Reese. And they were great guys, and I learned a lot from. Uh, they were very 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 helpful, but I didn't have sparring partners. And then I, I just thought, well, this isn't the place to be. Seattle is my bar none favorite place in, in the U.S. and one of my favorite places in the whole world. I think it's like, an amazing city. Do you like clouds? I like clouds. I like flannel. Depression. I, I'm into depression and heroin <laughs> all together. Coffee. Yep. Stinky pussy. Lost. Hey. Hey. What? Where'd you come up with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what just, the hell? Why, why, why do you have some Seattle sense? stinky pussy stories or what? Yeah, what are you talking about? They just never clean it. They're just all in bed sleeping, crying and shit. That's not true at all. No way. First of all, they're not cry. really supposed to clean your pussy. Yeah, you just, the thing it's about okay. pussies. It's they, a self-cleaning organ. They have a lot of uh, probiotic stuff up there, like uh, yogurts and uh, kimchi that they made uh, from the farmer's market. They're, they're good. It's actually important for women to not do that, like douching and stuff. That's like super bad super for bad. you. Yeah. Hmm. 
Isn't that amazing? They used to promote that all the time. Girls thought they had to do it. My mom did it all the time. She, How do you know this? Because when I was a kid, when I was a huh. kid, I used Ma, one of the. <laughs> what's that vacuum noise? <laughs> <laughs> Ma, who, who, opened, who opened up the Hoover Dam? <laughs> the gates of hell. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, I saw one of those empty bottles in the trash can, and I used it to drink Kool-Aid out of because I thought it was a cool bottle because it had a, like that cool straw thing. I believe. And my mom every caught me, and she never told me what it was until like years later. And then when he found out, out, he thought it was. Even cooler. Yeah, your mom was. You were walking around the house, sucking on your mom's douche bag. <laughs> I swear to God, and she was like, "Go ahead, Brian, play outside." Yeah, go no, see those power lines. Go climb them. <laughs> Here, have this uh, lead paint sandwich right now. But uh, it's a true story. I yeah, you know all that douching, and now all that douching has now reversed it, it, it's come mm -hmm. full 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 frontal and where people wear it now with like all the dragons and fucking fleur de lis and velour on their shirts. How's that douching? Oh, they're outside douche. I get it. Uh, anyways, external uh, douche. External douche. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I wanted to go somewhere where one I knew there would be no uh, issues in trying to find people to work out with, and SoCal is still. In the my mecca. opinion, the mecca of, of MMA and jujitsu, and then yeah, you uh, need big guys, right? Yeah. For a guy like you, it's important to have That's heavy true. guys to train with. Heavy guys, quality guys. You need you need a whole lot of uh, different kinds of guys. Yeah, you need both, guys that right? shave, guys that don't shave. Really? Oh, sure. Why not? But for for you, it's, it really is important to have heavy good guys, right? Like for a guy like you, like say if you were working out with a bunch of like really good middleweights, it's not good enough, right? Uh Depends like on what mass. I'm trying to work on. If I'm just going against a guy, just working on passing somebody's guard or something like that, sure, fine. Mm -hmm. Or just catching a leg, fine. But if I need to have someone to push me, I need someone to be able to match me with strength uh, and weight, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Eric was down here. Also, everything else that you could jump off from fighting as an entertainment uh, uh, commodity into anything else, acting... That's what you keep bringing uh, that up. Is that what you're trying to do now? Do you, is it like oh, you're a smart dude? Like yes. you, you think about your athletic career. You know, you can't do this forever. Everybody's athletic window is a very small portion of their life. It's important, but you need to not just be the best athlete. You need to grow as a person, and you need to be able to. It's not about setting up Plan B. It's about evolving as a person. It's about opening new doors and doing new things and growing and having new opportunities. And so I've been acting. Uh, I've done commentary. I'm doing commentary on New Japan Pro Wrestling on Axis right now. And that's not new to me. I've done. I've never done pro wrestling commentary, but I've done tons of fight commentary. I did commentary for Pride. I did commentary for uh, some other events uh, from Pancras. And uh, it was like, cool, I can do this, and that's no problem, even though and people keep hitting me up. Well, why don't you do UFC events? Why don't you do this? Why don't you? Like, well, no one, they're not hiring me. So... That's why I'm not doing commentary there. And then I got the Steven Seagal movie coming out, Absolution. It should be out relatively soon. Do you have to spar with Steven Seagal? In this I movie? did not have to spar with Steven Seagal. My balls are perfectly intact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't have any fight scenes with him. I, I did, did you have a, scenes with him? Acting scenes? Not really. Uh, he he was in a scene where I'm in the background. I just end up getting into a fight with with his sidekick guy, anyways. So I give that dude his hero moment. Uh, Byron Mann, who did a great job. Uh, and I've got another movie that should be coming out sometime this year called Chuck Hank and the San Diego Twins. It's an indie film. It's fucking completely 
insane. So how do you balance that between training, or are you like leaning more towards that area now? You haven't fought since the Travis Brown right. fight, right? Yeah. How long I've ago just, was that? That was uh, a year last year, 2014 December. Do you and have anything on your on your plate right I, now? For... I'm hoping I, I at some point to get a word on whether or not I'm fighting Roy Nelson because we it was brought up. Someone brought up the idea of uh, Roy and me doing Metamorphosis. Yeah, that's what I had heard too. It's like, oh, okay, really, and then. Roy said, nah, that sounds cool, but we fight first. It pays better. And I went, well, if you're willing, I'm willing. And he said, good, let's make it happen. I said, well, that, I guess that's that. If we say we're, gonna, we're willing to fight and we're ready to step up and go, then you know what's legit. And have there been any conversations with Joe Silva or the UFC? I, I imagine my manager is dealing with all of that. But, oh, so uh, you, you haven't? No. So I just, you, your manager was informed of all this stuff and, hey, go deal with that. Yeah, pretty I gotta much. I got to act. Pretty much, I got I got to hit acting class. <laughs> now uh, you wouldn't be opposed to doing a metamorphosis with him, though. No, I'm not opposed to doing a metamorphosis with anybody. I, I think I'll, I don't think I'll ever get a chance to finish the rubber match with Noguera, uh, but I could at least probably get him on the mats and metamorphosis. Do you think so? I think so. I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't want to do it and why people wouldn't want to see that. But I've already got a. Br- a, a Abreu Cyborg mm-hmm. coming up uh, May 9th for That's Metamorphosis. That's very interesting. That's very interesting, especially after you just submitted Dean Lister. Mm-hmm. That's very huge, dude. Submitting Dean Lister is a gigantic accomplishment. Hadn't been done in 16 years. That's amazing. Not and, since the Clinton administration had anybody tapped Dean Lister. And the way you got him with that choke, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that is some old school shit. That's, that's high school wrestling practically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with wrestling shoes on mm-hmm. and the old school spandex, the yep. sexy spandex. Oh man! Take a take, pull out the photo of Josh Barnett. Now, would you? Did you wear this, Josh Barnett? Ladies, in avert your eyes, lest please. You, lest you'd like your prepare, panties to catch fire. Prepare your vaginas for a fury of hormones. Did you wear this like as a uh, like an homage to pro wrestling? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, as an homage to my trainers, uh, Billy Robinson, Carl Gotch. Uh, and and also to Eric because that's from his roots and Matt Hume, but uh, it's from my training, my roots, my heritage, my catch wrestling training, and to Antonio Inoki, who is one of my trainers for professional wrestling. So I had the towel around my neck, the robe, even the way I took the robe off and everything. It was all all that the black boots. It's all black. It's all in homage and respect to my. My catch wrestling roots and my trainers. Well, it's. I think it's important to highlight those roots too for the just the lineage of MMA because a lot of folks that are on the outside are not aware that there were several different branches of submission fighting. You know, not just judo, not just jujitsu, not right. just sambo, but right. catch wrestling had some really legit submissions that are still used today, and a lot of really great grapplers. But catch wrestling eventually sort of morphed into professional Professional wrestling, wrestling, and a lot of folks are not aware of the Mm -hmm. original aspect of catch wrestling, which we're talking about these three-hour matches and guys that would go to, they would do carnival matches where they would go roll into town and wrestle anybody. You know who owned a big old carnival in Brazil? Who the head of the Gracie family at the time, Gustavo. Really, he owned a carnival. And he had professional wrestling, catch wrestling matches at his carnival. Who should happen to come and perform in one of these catch wrestling matches? But the Count Coma, Mitsuo Maeda. He stayed in Brazil. Carlos Gracie started training under him in judo and catch. Oh. That is where, 
Now, all of a sudden, you have Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So it's sort of branched off from a bunch of different sources, not just from judo, but no. from catch wrestling as well. Right, because Maeda had been traveling the world, competing in catch matches and all that. Kimura competed in catch matches as well. So even the, the Americana arm lock came from American wrestlers. Hmm. Catch. The Luta Livre background comes from catch. Uh, tattoo, uh, Euclides Hatem, he was a catch wrestler. He was trained to do show matches, but at the same time, he trained, even back then, even if you did works, you trained as a shooter. You trained to do that shit for real. Look at this beautiful outfit. Look and, at this uh, motherfucker. Uh, Comes out with a robe on. This is so old school of you. Look at this. To do this in Metamorris, you almost had to feel like you're kind of wearing, like, a costume. Yeah, I knew that people would be unfamiliar. They wouldn't understand it. But, well, a lot uh, of people did understand it, though. A lot of people on the underground especially were like, look and at And th those shit. socks are for uh, in reference to all my time spent in Japan and, uh, you know, the people I've trained over there. Uh, but uh, they... Uh, uh, you know, they, they they laughed when I said I was going to wear shoes. They're like, oh, my God, you're going to wear shoes against Dean Lister? Oh, you're, I don't think you should Dean do Lister that. Dean Lister is a leg right. lock specialist. Right. Shoes so, provide a lot of extra traction for holding all on to the leg locks. All this stuff about, oh, I can't believe you're going to wear shoes. Are you still going to do it? Up until the day of the event, you're really going to wear shoes? Yes. I go out there, I tap him. All oh, those shoes, that gave him such an advantage. Oh, but it's like, oh, fuck, are you kidding me? Now the shoes are not my detriment, they're my disadvantage. Oh, and then it was, you weighed so much more than Dean. Dean was like 240. I, I, don't, I don't know, I was like 255, so I had 15 pounds on him. I hugged, I gave Dean a hug the day of the weigh-ins. Well, we didn't actually weigh in, but I gave him a hug, and my fingers, I had to catch fingers and roll my grip into it. To actually get all the way around him. He's a big he was fucker. so fucking thick. He's a big fucker. Thick and veiny. Purple. Oh Whoa, easy. <laughs> Slow down. I but, got nervous. Uh, uh, you want to help me on my throbbing. Uh, ground game? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Don't worry about it. it these days. Uh, yeah. He was a big, massive guy. When he fought Babalu, I was really shocked that he was like allowing almost Babalu to lock up Darces on him. Like... Like, Babalu is a really good submission guy. Yeah, he is. He's excellent. And but Dean's he, just so, so wily at getting out all that stuff. Yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked that he was allowing that. But it also looked like he didn't have the gas to go a full 20. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Babalu at the end of the match was in way better shape yeah. than Dean was. I agree. carrying around all that muscle, all mm -hmm. that mass that he carried. Like, you're a bigger guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he might be 240, but a lot of that is Mexican supplements. <laughs> There's a big difference between your 240 and his 240. Well, you know I, what I'm saying? I, I like don't know. You, I mean, I think avocado uh, hot sauce, <laughs> you know, that stuff has, has done wonders for I endurance. I am speaking of different supplements, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean. Love the green sauce. He's so skilled and talented, too. I mean, it's not just all the ac extra muscle. He was strong as up. shit when I wrestled him, and apparently uh, his guys and him, uh, Dean said he wrestled a lot of big dudes. They wrestled against guys for pressure from top, and it's just that I was able to apply it that much better. Did you think that you were going to be able to catch him with that choke? Was that something specifically that you had saw before? Did you uh, game plan? Well, yeah. Well, Rico Rodriguez was the last guy to tap him before oh. that, and how did he tap him with? Same choke. Exactly. Oh, You know who shit. taught Rico the choke, by the way? Who? Eric Paulson. Get the fuck out Boxing of here. Boxing works in Redondo Beach, yes. God damn, Absolutely. man. Yeah. God damn. You know, I remember uh, first hearing about uh, catch wrestling. Was it Frank Gotch? Was he the one that would drop? No, who was the guy that would drop down? It was a, sh a small dude. What the fuck was his name? God damn it. I'm well, Frank so Gotch out of the is catch, wrestling catch wrestler. 
Was that who the guy was that used to drop? Uh, he used to do like hangman's drops. Oh, that is Farmer Burns. Farmer Martin Burns. Farmer Burns. Farmer Burns. Who is Frank Gotch's coach? In there somewhere. Yeah. It's Farmer. <laughs> yeah, he can hang himself and not yeah, go what out the and not fuck? break his neck. It's... Yeah, there's pictures of it. Look up, look up Farmer Burns catch wrestling image. See if you find an image of this guy fucking hanging himself. It's morbid. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. What look at that hell? fucking picture. The guy hung himself. That's how strong his fucking neck was. He would hang his whole... Probably really good for de decompression <laughs> of the spine. I actually do a thing in my house where I... I put, Are you jerking off at the same time? No, I wear a wetsuit. <laughs> There's a black dildo. I have this, um, this thing that I bought, a spinal decompression setup that hangs from a door. You put it on the like a door, like a bathroom door. It's like this bolt. It screws in right. place. Uh -huh. It has like an arm, and then you ratchet it, like click, click, and it like decompresses your spine. It's like a nice little stretch. But right. this motherfucker, David, David, David Carradine did too. I don't think that's the same. <laughs> I think what he did was different. How does that not just rip your door off the the hinges? Because you're not really putting your whole weight on it. You're sitting down first of all. You do it in a chair. Like say this thing, it's velcroing to your head. Here, like um. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Here. I do know what you're talking about, and it's. Uh, uh, I, I think if you can use it properly, uh, it, it, it's a good it's a good thing. Yeah, Having spinal decompression is important. Uh, but what he was doing was not yeah, that. No, no, this motherfucker exactly. was. It's insane. And uh, you know, catch catch wrestlers trained fucking hard as shit. This they, is what uh, it's like, Brian. No, that's not it, Jamie. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> Look at, see this? Oh wow! See this thing? Yeah, that's crazy. That's, ex that's exactly what I use. Huh. His face looks just like that when he does it too. Yeah, it just it's, it stretches your neck a little bit. It's it like gives you got you a, a jock strap wrapped around your jaw. That's not what it looks like. <laughs> what it looks it's like. more like a bra. It's more like a bra. I once. Oh God, I've pissed off so many women when I've said, "Oh, hey, whatever, uh, blah blah blah." Don't forget your training bra. <sighs> training, training, like training, Exercise. being athletic. Yeah, no, nah, I didn't mean. Yeah, you can't say that. I just get the evil look. I didn't like. I don't mean. Like you have new tits. Yeah, I meant <laughs> the, the bra when you train. What do they call one of those? Sports bra. Sports bra. Sports bra. Not yeah, you a gotta, training bra. You got to be real specific. It is a bra that you train in. Mm, that's not how they but look But it's at not it. a training bra. It's a very different animal. No, it will get you all kinds of heat. But dudes wouldn't get upset if you no. said, well, you pick well, up your training know. underwear. It, what if you said, well, if you said, get your, go get your training bra, he's like, what? Yeah, but if you told the guy, go pick up your training cup. <laughs> like, what do you think? Like, oh, my dick's growing? What are you trying to say? <laughs> Getting used to wearing a cup? Yeah, you improving. need support in all the right places. Hey, you know, this is a very random question. It was very specific, I should say. What do you think about uh, Thai steel cups for grappling competitions? So oh, yeah, getting, sure. They're getting outlawed in a lot of grappling competitions because they provide that extra leverage. Uh, they're like a fulcrum point, like a leverage point. Okay, then, then everybody's got a free ball. Free ball. You know, you just got to... Use that third hook, wrap your dingus That's around there. And I'm you see, we bring Brian on these podcasts. Everything goes in the fucking. Well, here's the here's the thing. Here's the, no, I mean, I'm here. I'm barely eleven and a half. So I wouldn't. Have, I don't. I I usually don't train with a cup. You don't? No, because my legs are so big that it's it, it rubs puts you. bruising in 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 the inside of my thighs. Mm. I personally, I have a thing I like to call combat cock, where <sighs> everything just. Pulls Sucks in. in. Yeah. Do you remember those guys? It knows was, better yeah. than to get fucking hanging out there. Hey, how you doing? What's up? High five oh, with your, your foot. Oh, your dick is educated. My dick is smart. Just I've, like the Shaolin monks. I've known guys that have lost a ball from that. 
Yeah, not me. Yeah, well, there was Brian Foster, is that what it was? It was Brian fighting Foster? for the UFC. Oh. He uh, is in training, and he got kicked in the balls and Ugh. lost one of his balls. Yeah. I Did he ever find it? Dick. You got stupid dick? Yeah, yeah dick's retarded. Yeah, I got his dick dumb dick. Terrible decisions. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, How are you doing? Yeah, his dick is always like, what are you doing going Wait, Have you there? seen where his dick has been? <laughs> Can you imagine? His dick's lucky to be have alive. You? <laughs> have you? Have you? Yes, I have. I have I've seen, like, pictures. Oh, you've been in the room. Come oh, fuck. On. Not the same just, room. You know what? Like, room after it was over. You just want to take, like, a whole, like, a bottle of paint thinner and be like, you need to just dip in this real quick. Did you guys see that thing? There was a fucking guy who who is uh, a scientist from Monsanto and was trying to say that pull it off of my um, my YouTube uh, my uh, rather my Twitter feed this is hilarious I retweeted it this this fucking Monsanto scientist was trying to say that um, this pesticide was totally safe to drink the stuff that's in Roundup, and then you could drink it and nothing. And nothing the neonicotinoids or whatever. So there's a video of what him a saying fucking it. Idiot. And so he's talking to this do this uh, this journalist, and the journalist goes, oh, "Really? You you would drink it?" And he goes, "Sure, I would drink it." And he goes, "Okay, well, we're gonna get your glass and you drink it. Like, watch this. Oh, this is GMO awesome. advocate says Monsanto herbicide safe to drink." That's it, glyphosate. Glyphosate. Watch this shit. Notice deformities in children growing in the country's agricultural region. Monsanto has denied any wrongdoing and that the product is safe. And that's where Dr. Patrick Moore comes in. The Monsanto lobbyist sat down with French cable channel Canal Plus. Moore said, "You could drink an entire quart of this product. It wouldn't hurt you. A quart. You can drink a whole quart of it, and it won't hurt you." It's, uh, you want to drink some? We have some here. I'd be happy to, actually. Oh, you, no. not not really, but not really. I know no. it wouldn't hurt me. That's when the interviewer asked Moore to put his money where his mouth was and drink the weed killer. Okay, then it's except, finished. Except, except then the interview is finished. That's a, that's a good way to solve things. Yeah. Wow. Well, wait a minute, why did this... He's a complete did, jerk, did you, did you hear that? Or something? Apparently, it was complete more jerk, to it. A complete jerk in French is canard. canard. Is this the one that was on my Twitter feed? Maybe I watched more than one version of this, but the conversation lasted a little longer than that. What a that fucking that dickless asshole. Edited. Lying piece of shit. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? He's like, I would drink it. Wow. Okay, you want to drink it? No. no. You're a complete jerk. Complete jerk. Connard. Me. Connard. That guy's a doctor. How fucking stupid can you be? When you, you go to school, you're a doctor. You get a degree, mm -hmm. and then you're smart enough where you get hired by Monsanto. You're smart enough where you do interviews, and you're yep. expected to be an expert. But you're so fucking stupid, you say something like, oh, you could drink it. I would drink it. You, well, you would drink it? We have some. Do you I'll think drink that's it. stupid, or okay. do you think he's just being a piece of shit and trying to lie I, yeah, for Monsanto? Did, I think both. Did they go into it and go, like, we broke down the chemical? in this it would actually be safe like did they expand that at all uh, the no because a lot of those things like the real issue is prolonged exposure like I know a dude who has bone cancer and he got bone cancer because his family lived near a golf course and the golf course used a lot of pesticides uh, and it infected the well water uh, and all the kids in the neighborhood got cancer too he, like his next door neighbor got cancer his, the dude who lived across the street got cancer because it was so important to keep that grass nice and lush right I don't think they knew I think there's a lot of carcinogens. I'll, that give, they, it, I'll give them that. And that uh, back in the day, they mm -hmm. didn't understand how potentially hazardous uh, long-term effects versus short-term uh, could be. Even yeah. they didn't really know how bad cigarettes were entirely at a point. But then it came a point that they did know 
I mean, cigarettes still blow me away. Yeah. Why do you add the shit in all the poisons and stuff? It's okay. You're 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 inhaling smoke, which is we all know is bad. You can die from smoke inhalation. It's carcinogens are in there. Car. Fine. We got it. Do you have to add all the other crap that's in it? They add all the other arsenic shit. and all this yeah. garbage. Like just why, to get you more addicted. Why don't you just just give them the fucking leaf? Did be you it ever weed see? or be it fucking tobacco. Just let them smoke it and let them know what's going to happen. But you don't have to help them. You don't have to fucking add rat poison to well, it. Try American Spirits and compared to a, like a Marlboro Light. There's I don't... a huge difference in like <laughs> taste and everything. But yeah, it's they shouldn't do it. But Okay, but so it's kind explain of, to us. So you say that American Spirits tastes like shit and the Marlboro tastes better. American Spirits last forever. I mean, you can have one cigarette. It takes like 15 minutes instead sure. of like two. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it's it's a harsher thing. You wake up the next day, you're like, oh, like spitting up goobers and like it's r- really bad for you feeling uh body wise where marlboro like you can smoke a whole pack what and about pipe smokers fine. i mean i've known i mean one that shit usually smells good around yeah here. it does smell good and right? uh, two yeah. they don't seem to be yeah well bertrand russell didn't he live to be like fucking 90 something yeah. he smoked cigarettes every day but, i mean or smoked a, a, pipe, a pipe every day th- th- you'll find people anywhere uh willing to for the right amount of money to just fucking railroad mm-hmm. humanity yeah, they just will do it. I mean, what about all these climate change fucking assholes, climate change mm-hmm. deniers? Yeah, they're, well, it's so when you find fact, out when they're getting paid, it's right? Just so and shocking. you know what's funny is there's actually you can go online and find all the senators and all the congressmen that are all climate change deniers. Mm-hmm. You can find them all. They they've listed all their names. Well, it's not just that. How about the the different doctors that are testifying against marijuana? You find out they're being paid by pharmaceutical companies. This time and time again, experts have been co-opted by money. But when you see it so clearly, like this fucking guy, you could drink a whole quart of it and you'd be fine. Okay, you want to drink it? What no, you you're a complete jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't drink a whole quart of fucking Orange Splenda. Juice. Yeah. Right. And and they say that's safe, right? Uh, which I I don't know, but I'm not going to drink a quart of it. Yeah, fuck that. If you did, you'd want to throw up. I'm sure you would. Yeah, I mean a quart of first of all, it's a powder. You can really drink a quart. Well, you of could it. make it water. You could you could pour a quart. You the mental amount of liquid you would have to have to drink a quart of Splenda. Or how about just a quart of a quart of water with a appropriately uh, dissolved solid of Splenda within it? I'll do it. It would only help him. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> this is what it Because, worked. look, if you've survived all the horrible encounters you've had in your life up to this point, Brian, that, right. that, that what's that going to do? Right? Yeah, right? I mean, you probably stared syphilis right dead in the eyes and told it to go the fucking AIDS. fuck off, you know? Yeah, it's going to kill the AIDS inside of his kill body. <laughs> Just fucking, I can't deal with this. This is one, one level too far. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to come a time in our future where the, these kind of guys these these guys who are obviously bought and paid mm-hmm. just don't exist anymore how do you do that though you have so, to make people accountable and we don't want to seem to do that and then the people you would expect would make them accountable right these are the these checks and balances that get put together to well this is to police that and this is to, they're all fucked up right i mean mm-hmm. how do you let the banks just rob you blind you know there's that whole libor scandal where they're just fudging fixing numbers and and they go to Chase and they go, well, we're going we're gonna to fine you $12 billion. Chase makes $45 billion a year. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, what they did in Vietnam was they went and they grabbed all the people that, all the bankers and all the, all the officials that fucked everybody over with in, in terms of the banking system, and they 
stuck him life in prison and killed them. Now, you have one extreme to the other. But nonetheless, I mean, what is what is worse? Well, yeah, there, I mean, there's been many bankers that have been caught that are doing things like they're laundering money for drug cartels. Uh -huh. I mean, that was one of the big ones that was recently exposed, that these guys were m laundering money for Mexican drug cartels. They just got a big fat fine. You know, I mean, m meanwhile, if it was you, like if Brian was busted laundering money for drug mm -hmm. cartels, you'd be in jail for the rest of your fucking life, 100%. They'd take all of bank, his fucking everything. dryers yeah. and, and uh, all, his, all his whirlpools. I'd get it because you know he Laundering. would. Actually, no, no, he no, he would really launder it. Come on, yeah, you know, exactly. you know, like Brian's like, I can do that. <laughs> He'd have an iron ironing board. I'll turn it to super. I could get more money out of super. Are you trying to say that Brian is a child? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not exactly yeah. sure what you're trying to say, man. I just like fucking with him because he's here, and he never. Every time I've been on your podcast, Brian's off in the corner. Doing, I don't even know. I don't want to know. Why he's right next to you, right. so he can't hide anymore. Yeah. And and uh, last time I saw him, it was at our buddy Ryan's uh, oh, birthday. Yeah, birthday, or was party. it at uh, the Laugh Factory or Comedy Store? Comedy or Store was at the Comedy Store, but yeah. So I'm always like, why don't you ever fucking, I, you know me? Why don't we, you we hang out? out? Yeah, why don't you come and hang out? Say something. Because he's nervous around you. Because you're a man. I am a man. I, I need you to help I make me. I make the kind of pheromones that make other yeah. men. Qu well, quiver. that kind of man. I need you to help me with my ground game, and my ground game is hopscotch. So. Uh, oh, easily. <laughs> we'll go from that to uh, to fucking uh, rubber band jump rope, oh, yeah. and uh, we'll do foursquare after that. That's right. I got all the kids' games down. Do you? Oh yeah. How do you? How am I supposed to meet anybody in this this terrible world? I mean, come on, online dating. You don't know my game. <laughs> Go out to the Foursquare courts. Online gaming that's seems you find, like a better way. That's when you find the athletes. <laughs> this fucking thing is done. This podcast <laughs> is over. Wait, do you want to do five no, minutes? No, I've just listened to, uh, to a lot of Jethro Tull Aqualung, you know? Or You want to do five minutes? Do you, want to do, do you ever want to do stand-up comedy? I do, and here's why. It terrifies me, Joe and Brian. That terrifies me. Why? That You're so raw and exposed up there and i'm not when i go and i fight i can fight for myself i can do it all you know it, my my success is measured upon my end you know did i get my hand raised or did i not get my hand raised when you go out on that stage people are okay make me laugh fucker right you're supposed to be funny aren't you so all right here i am or they're like this I don't give a shit. I'm talking to Brian. We're having a drink. Whatever. There's some fucking noise off to my left. I gotta be interesting. I gotta do something that's going to draw their attention. And once I've drawn it, I need to keep it. Okay, you got me. What? Why should I pay attention? And so I, there's this necessity to 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 be able to get a response for them, which I understand from professional wrestling because I've been out in the ring and I, I listen to the crowd and I, I see what works and what doesn't work. And so I, I have an understanding, I feel, uh, and from being around yourself and other, you know, I've, I've not like I talk about it a lot, but I've hung out with quite a few comedians and, you know, been there backstage for their shows and we're fucking around warming up and doing all this stuff. And it's, but I look at it and I go, this is not just cracking jokes and making people laugh. And it is okay to bomb because you're going to. You're always going to fail. But it's just such a raw personal experience to a degree. To me, it's just frightening. Utterly frightening. Yeah, you should definitely do it then. Do it tonight. It's Five not minutes. that hard. 
No, don't don't listen to him. I if you're gonna do it, you should plan it out. I you agree. should definitely think about it and, and write some stuff down. I listen to to things that you've said before about being a comedian from documentary stuff and things that I've seen of you. And I have a thing in here in my notebook, all on my phone, nothing but bits. So you've thought about it? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I I, I think about it. Why I, don't you I, do it? Go to an open mic night. Don't do it at a regular show. He's trying to get you to do one of his shows. Don't do no, it. Right. To kill no, Tony, no, 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 don't no, no. do it. Uh -uh, uh -uh. <laughs> no, you should go to a regular open mic night, like whether at the comedy store or wherever. You know, just do five minutes or whatever they give. What do they give you? Three minutes. At the Three store? minutes, or you can Three do minutes. one minute on Kill Tony, and we can help don't, you out. Don't do it. No, I don't know about that. You <laughs> don't know. do it. They, they'll put it on the internet. And, and sometimes, <laughs> I'll be honest, Joe. Uh, the shit that wants that I want to say, mm -hmm. mm, probably not good for right. the rest of what I'm trying to accomplish. Nah, I disagree. I don't. Why, know. What you, in what way? How would it hurt you? I I just really dark, weird, fucked up shit comes out of my mouth. Like like, can you give me an example? Mm -mm. Nope. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. Well, no, but stuff, you you can you can stuff. ask. Uh, so I did this thing. Before MMA Roasted was anything, right? They wanted to do a sh they wanted to shoot a sizzle, send it off to Spike. They wanted to make a show, an actual show where you do a panel and all this stuff. So um, uh, Adam and uh, oh my God, why am I forgetting everybody's name right now? God damn it, T Rex. So T Rex hits me up and goes, "Come on out, come out and do this thing." All right, uh, what is it? Okay, I'll come sit around. And you guys are gonna probably try and talk shit to me and talk about my past and fuck with me and say steroids and whatever. But I don't give a fuck. So I come out and they have this green room, this green screen thing set up in this deal. And Adam does some monologue spots and then he does. He gets to the panel where they, we talk about whatever's going on in MMA and then we can we can fucking step off into any direction we want and have fun. And then he'll do a one on one where. He and the whoever the guest is of the week will will sit there and Adam's just basically gonna fuck with you the whole time. So I come in, I sit down on this panel thing, and they're filming all of this. So it's T Rex is to my left, me, this female comedian who I don't really know, and then Adam. And then we just sit there and we start talking, and I just start saying shit. One, the female comedian immediately gets really upset. What were you saying? <laughs> I, <laughs> T-Rex can't stop laughing, neither can Adam. And then I keep picking on fucking T-Rex the whole time about his clothing line at every at every point available. Then we go and we do the 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 sit down with me and Adam, and then I take it from him and then I just start making him laugh and saying really weird shit and completely throwing him for a loop. And I just said to him at the end of the day, I go, "That was a lot of fun. This has never seen the light of day, right?" Like, "No, no, no, this is good." Well, what were you saying? Nah. Come on. <laughs> you don't want to talk about uh, it. No. But it was funny. <laughs> I think, it, well, they thought it was funny at the time. I thought it was funny, but... But I've said a lot of fucked up things. That... You can say those things because you're, there's an accepted aspect that you are Joe Rogan, the comedian. You're Joe Rogan who talks about DMT, talks about marijuana and aliens and all kinds of stuff. And we accept that. And you're, you're, you're an established person within the, the fan base that you have. And you're a known commodity for those that are only casual Joe Rogan knowers from uh, uh, news radio, no, no, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the fucking the, Fear the, Factor. Well, that, but even before that, uh, the the radio, uh, the sitcom you did, news radio, news radio, yeah, Fear Factor, 
all these other things where people will will see hey joe rogan he's a comedian maybe we've seen some of his stand-up maybe not but we know him as a personality on television so you know i'm fucking around whereas with you they might just think you're a psychopath no, and i'm an athlete and i'm supposed to be this and i'm supposed to be that uh... and so if i make off-color jokes that are you know, it's like oh that's too far but what if when you retire from fighting how many more years do you, how old are you now 36 37 37 how many more years do you think you'll be competing until uh, I'm done. Now, see, that's like, until mm. I'm done. Because, mm. like I said before about that athletic window, so Joe Rogan has, uh, you know, this whole part of his whole career to stand up, very stand up oriented and specific. And then, boom, he moves into movies. And then he, maybe he goes from there into politics. I mean, the thing is, is that you can enter any kind of line you want, but those things are not incumbent on your physicality. Right. What, what they are is it's your mind, it's your ability to use. Fighting, physicality, anything athletic-wise, you have so long to do it, and that's it. When that opportunity is passed, you cannot do it anymore. Now, maybe, you know, you could say, okay, well, Joe went for the U.S. national team for Taekwondo to go to to win that, and then go win the world team trials and go to the Olympics. Going to the Olympics is a is a short opportunity in life once you get past that point to where you can be competitive at that that doesn't mean you can't do taekwondo anymore it wouldn't mean that you couldn't do other tournaments but trying to be the olympic champion in taekwondo it's like well that that one that one's gone that opportunity has passed me for me when that opportunity to for me to be a successful high level fighter is gone it's gone it's just that's it it's so over with. you will just have to personally assess when you feel mm -hmm. like your body's not performing the way you expect it to exactly but right now you're cool with it right now i'm cool right now i know i can do a lot better than my last fight for sure why did you decide to take so much time off between your last fight and now i wasn't into my last fight to be honest i didn't care i just i wasn't up for it i trained and i got to a point where i'm just like i'm over this you're like, over it. Uh, who Burnt is it? out? Like, who is this guy? I mean, Who's fuck. Travis Brown, really? Yeah, but it's just like, okay, if I beat him, what does that do? Well, he's a top five fighter. So what? And then I get to fight another guy and fight another guy and fight another guy until, it's like, well, where, where am I going with this? I'm in the grind. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not going to climb this fucking ladder to prove that I deserve to fight for a title. I can fight for a title against anyone in any league, anywhere, anytime. Fucking, I'm a championship world champion level guy mm -hmm. i don't need to prove that i belong here i've fought travis browns all my career they just had a different name at a different point in life they had the same type of skill set they're basically the same guy there'll be another travis brown when travis brown is done being travis brown so what are you trying to say that you the only thing that would get you up is to fight for a title not necessarily, but just I got to fight when it makes sense to me i got to fight when i'm motivated to do so i don't i'm not looking to to try and say all right throw me in there with all these other fucking goofballs and let's just beat each other's heads in until we try to prove that we belong here does that like, just signify like a, the the final chapter of your athletic career then because if like a guy like travis brown mm -hmm. if you were coming up you would relish the opportunity to fight a top five guy sure so is it because you're just very established you've been around a long time i've learned that i don't need to i don't need to prove myself in that way when but, I when I go to I don't I, I've been a top ten fighter for over a decade I've been top five for over a decade most of the time so whether or not someone ranks me wherever they rank me it doesn't really matter I can step in there and do the job and 
this next fight might be against Roy, which is fine. But if the next fight is we want you to fight Kane or Voodoo or whoever, like, let's go. I'm fucking ready to do it. But did you feel that when you fought Frank Mir? Yes. When you I did. fought Frank Mir, I was fucking pumped. Because, for one, I'd been told, oh, that I'd, I'd hear all these people, oh, we, we think it's going to be, oh, it's going to be such a tough fight. And, and Frank Mir, is, he's, the, he's the best submission guy. And, or back when I was in the UFC, um, uh, and Frank was just coming up. They're like, oh, this guy's the future. He's the best. He's going to be the greatest. And always hearing all this stuff about how Frank Mir is my equal or better. And I'm just like, this shit is over with. This is not. I'm going to show you the difference between us, between him and me. So you were excited about him. That was a very yes. important fight for yes. you. That was a Travis fair. Brown wasn't. Didn't care. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's weird. but I guess that's a personal thing, right? Your own personal motivation. Like you know, the only person who could decide what fights you're up for and what fights you're not are you. That's true. Would and you would you be up for a rematch? Like if they offered oh you yeah. a rematch with Travis? But here's the difference. If I fight Travis now, I'm going to want to fucking take his head off because he disrespected me in the ring after the match. He did all this sh fucking shit and all. It's like, what did he do? What did he oh, do? He fucking cut his throat. He did Doesn't all this stuff. Do, but don't you do that too? You do that all the That's time after you. That's my win. thing. He did it to mock me for oh. winning. And I'm just like, dude, I've been nice to you and respectful to you from day one. And then the, you go ahead and you go and you get a win on me. Great. This is your moment to say what you want to say, and what you want to do is to try and fucking put me down after you win. So you feel like by him doing the the thumb across the neck thing, yeah. And apparently he he was very dismissive of me in interviews and all this shit. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Way disrespectful. Your post fight, post. post, all post, all everything is post. Everything mm -hmm. was post. And I didn't find out about this shit until way after the fact. I actually saw him backstage and come up and shook his hand and said, all right, you know, hey, this was your night. Me, I don't have any reason to be a fucking prick. Especially after I win. But, you know what? A guy wins. He feels like he's on top of the world. You know what? That's when you're going to say some shit like that. That's when you're going to act out. And then, ah, fuck, I'm just like, all right, cool. If that's the way it's going to be, awesome. If we rematch, it's not going to be the same dude you fought that night. You have no idea. You really don't get it. You, were, you will get your ass handed to you. Because now you made you gave me a reason to want to kick your ass. And what would be the difference between the way you would perform in this fight and the way you performed in the first fight? Look, for, for one, I would make him pay for all of the big mistakes he makes all the time. Like what big mistakes? He's constantly whiffing, throwing the biggest shots. That kid has no stamina because he will always go for the kill in everything he does. Now, that makes him very dangerous to a heavyweight especially because he's athletic and he's got some power. But that's why Verdum took him out. Because he's missing with all this big shit, and he's getting picked apart and picked apart and picked apart and hung on and hung on and grabbed and separated and picked apart and picked apart. I mean, why is Verdum beating you on the feet? Because well, he broke his hand early in the first round, too. That's one of the reasons why. Yeah, well, and it's Verdum also because survived he's, trying to, he's trying to swing mm -hmm. for the fences constantly. Yeah. That's why he's gassed in every one of his big fights. Any fight that's got any kind of distance to it, he's gassed. Why? Because that's the type of fighter he is. Does that make him a bad fighter? Not necessarily. I he's would just, say it doesn't. It's just that's who he is. He's a fucking wild man. But that's just also why I think he will never be a UFC champion. Because there's a finesse that he doesn't possess. But don't you think that that's something you can learn? I mean, he's a guy who's still sort of evolving as a fighter. He Has came, he? Well, he came into MMA fairly late. He was a basketball player. Yeah. and. Well, well, I mean, time will tell. It's up to him, really. And well, you got a personal thing with him. Well, right? but here, I'm, I'm being objective. Mm -hmm. and, and that is, it's up to him. 
if, if he wants to make those decisions, if he wants to change his game, if he wants to add different aspects to it, I mean, all fighters are the true or architects of, of their own design. The coaches can help. Edmund can, can help him in one way and show him how to strike uh, under these concepts or maybe show the same things that he's been taught at Jackson's or someplace else, but said in a different way so that it, it becomes more clear to him. Um, and I think Edmund is a good striking coach. I've seen him work with Rhonda. I've seen him work with, with some of the, with the girls and, uh, before, and I, I like what he has to teach. I also don't believe that at Greg's that there wasn't that there was any lack of striking quality striking training or I, I'm not going to say that Edmund's striking training is going to be better than whatever was it was Jackson's. I'm going to say it's different. I'm sure and I know it's good, but I, I'm pretty sure that Jackson's was good too. And to make that change, I mean, only he knows specifically why he decided to change camps. But uh, in my opinion, it's not. It's not about being here or there. It's about what he does to, to affect his game. It's what, what changes he decides to make in his own head, the way he approaches his training, and how he tries to take what he's learning and apply it to what he does already and apply it in different ways. You know, that's what it comes down to. I think Edmund has given him more individualized attention and really focusing on him Maybe. as an athlete because he only has a small stable of fighters. Maybe, but... Uh, in the end, uh, coaches lay the foundation. They, they, they point you in the right direction. But mm -hmm. athletes take that information, and they make the most of it. If you, How much time in a day can you spend with that coach? Only so much. It's the time that you're not spending with them that really makes a big difference. How do you take what they gave you? How are you working on that when you're not in the gym? How are you thinking about it? How are you breaking down your strengths and your weaknesses and, and dealing with those? How are you then coming back to the gym with that knowledge and then training the next day? How are you setting your mind for training that day? You know, you could have the worst day in the world, but if your jab got better, so what? Right. It's a success. Does it, does it bug you, that fight? Like, if you, you know, you look back and the fact that you didn't get up for it and you had that result. Yes, of course it bugs me. And it, it, just as Travis is bugged, from losing his fight versus Verdum because he had an opportunity to fight for the title after that, I'm sure, is the way he saw it, and he lost his opportunity. He, he, he may feel it was because of his hand or, you know, when he got kicked in the rib or whatever. It doesn't really matter what it was. We lost. We lost in, in these moments. And as a fighter, you always should. That's, that's something that I know when I don't care if I lost or not, that's when I should stop fighting. Right. I cared. I cared that I lost. I cared a lot more when I got disrespected over it, which I felt was completely, you know, unnecessary. That just sucked. That was like, wow, wow, why? Why did you have to do that? So if you got, you can't, you have a hard time getting up for Travis, why do you not have a hard time getting up for Roy Nelson? Because, for one, uh, I've had some time to, to just do other stuff and and get that fire wanting to get back in the ring too i'm not looking at i'm looking at fighting roy as fighting roy i'm not looking at fighting roy as i'm fighting roy so that i can prove that i can fight joe smith next so that i can fight whoever and then get a title shot i'm not doing that i'm fighting roy because i'm fighting roy me and roy are gonna fight so you have a just different mindset than you had before the travis fight absolutely and with roy 
he's been around a very long time himself. And so I've heard things here and there. You know, Roy one time was on a big uh, rant online on Twitter about you know, people being ranked over him and why Why is that? So he's, he's arguing with all these MMA journalists. And then he starts adding my name into it, like literally putting my handle. And I'm just like, why do you give a fuck about And my only response was, you know, finding wants to talk about how he thinks he's better than me or whatever. Who cares? My only response was, who gives a shit what other people think about you? Why are you even including me in this? It doesn't matter. Well, don't you think he's just trying to drum up a fight? Eh, get, whatever, get some, it doesn't matter. I mean, looks at the list of potential opponents, feels he matches up well with you, throw your name into the mix, use your, yeah. your at Perhaps. Josh L. Barnett. And you know, at, at the time, I don't even think I was in the UFC, so it's not like we could have fought anyways. Well, he probably knew you were coming over from Strike Force, right? Who knows? I mean, everybody thought you were coming over if you could work out the deal. I mean, you were always a top-level guy. Right. And sub, someone that a lot of different fighters wanted to have as a potential, you were high name, you know, high marquee name. It wasn't that long ago that anybody ever started actually calling me out. Like most of my career, no one's ever said, I want to fight that guy. So what do you, what do you attribute it to? Oh, I'm older. I had a bad loss my last match. You know, mm -hmm. maybe they think that they see it's, uh, it's more worthwhile to do that. But even guys that had gotten wins over me went through fucking hell to do it. So... Mm. They're just like, yeah, doesn't make sense. I don't blame them. I mean, I, I don't, if I see a guy, if I have a fighter and I can avoid having a fight that's winnable, but it's going to be fucking really tough, yeah, I would try not to make that fight happen. I would try to get him a fight where it may be a, uh, a more dangerous fight, but much more uh, skews in the way of once you get going, you can put him away. But you got to watch out because this guy can put you away versus this guy's going to make you fight and scratch and claw for every inch of every second of this fucking match, whether he's winning or he's losing. He'll just never fucking quit. Like and that's that guy, you. Yeah. And that's you. I will. I break my hand in 23 seconds fighting Cormier and I still hit him with it. You know what I mean? And this is the type of fight that you think would be that kind of dog fight, you and Roy. Yeah. Well, he's hard to put away. He is hard to put I, away. I'm a finisher. Jesus Christ, his fight with Alistair Overeem was crazy to watch. Him I, I eat, didn't see it, yeah, but I heard this. kicks to the body. So walk, so walk. You know, Alistair was just laying into him. He head kicked him. He hit. He kicked the shit out of his legs, and Roy just keeps coming forward. Mm -hmm. Alistair says it was like the Incredible Hulk. Like he's you make got him angrier anger. and angrier. You get anger, and you see his eyes get crazy. He's a wild motherfucker, Roy. Yeah. Hard to believe that he didn't even start striking training until 2009. That's when he started striking training. That's not true. That's what he said. Well, he had a kung fu background too. Oh, did he really? Yes. I mean, but what is it? What is that? I look. He know. He knew about throwing a punch like this. I saw him. Overhand right a guy and knock him out in Costa Rica. Really? Oh, yeah. Costa Rica? Yep. Were you guys drunk? <laughs> What's going on? What happened? Well, we were hired to go down there to uh, provide protection for somebody. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, well, what was it? Bodog. What was going on? Oh, Bodog. It's Bodog. And what he was, was fighting, this? oh, 2007, 8. Bodog was a fucking interesting little scenario, wasn't it? It was. I, was, I actually really liked watching it because yeah. their production, in terms of uh, setting up each individual fight. Oh, by the way, which is funny because my buddy Clint Dahl did this thing called Venom way back in the day, and MMA was not legal in California. So what they did is they rented out a soundstage. I was there. You were at Venom. I was at Venom. So you remember Venom? Yeah. Tell. tell explain the whole thing. So it's, it's a soundstage, and interesting. so. 
he hires John Sally and Stephen Quadros to be the announcers. He's got all these fights set up that they're all going to film in one or two days, and then they're going to prepackage it to go sell it elsewhere. He, he set up roving cams, hard cams. He set up all this stuff. He had all these people just show up as extras to just stand around, which I guess you were there hanging out too. They ordered pizzas for people to eat at, the, at one point, and they called this thing a production, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of... Uh, it's a film. Yeah, it's a film. It's a movie. Yep. So they had these people fight, pretending that it was like acting. Yeah. Meanwhile, they were fighting. For real. Yeah, but they just had it well, it's acting. They're uh -huh. sparring as actors or something. Yeah. They tried some wacky loophole. And it worked. And yeah. so... Didn't they get in trouble, though? I don't think so. It's just that it never went anywhere. To my understanding, Sally was supposed to get it to the Fox people. And I don't know what happened there. It never, it never took off. Either way, one, a lot of people got their start there. And nobody even knows it. And two... Uh, what they did is the way they filmed all the fighters. They had all of their bios, these backstories. They had Mike, uh, what's his face? Mike Seal from New Mexico, who was a bank robber in Mexico. And he got in trouble for that and came. I mean, so there's all these stories about these guys. And so how Bodog got a hold, they used the same format, partially because one of the dudes that was produ producing Bodog had Venom from way back in the day and basically just took the whole concept of how they would produce it and used it for Bodog. Well, but, Bodog, they would put on fights on the beach in Costa mm -hmm, Rica with mm -hmm. all these hot chicks yep. around. Best ring girls just about ever. Oh, my God. It was but, amazing. Uh, was that pay-per-view? I can't remember. I, I remember watching. It was on TV. They had it on TV. It was on TV. They, so they shot it as a TV product. They would shoot f all these fights over four days, and then they would chop it up into TV episodes. And uh, it, was, it looked really fucking cool. Did they just run out of money? They... Basically, there was a lot of people involved in Bodog that were basically just robbing the coffers while the king sleeps. They were just running it dry, thinking it was just going to be a failure. Who Just get all you can uh, while you can and, and just fuck it over. Well, and they, they used, did. They used to do those billboards. Mm -hmm. Calvin Iyer presents Bodog. So it'd be him. Bodog fights like, on a throne. It'd be him with like a beautiful suit on his face. Like Nobody's buying the fights <laughs> to look at you. Like, it didn't make any sense. It was such a vanity it project. Was, yeah, it was definitely retarded in that way. But... Uh, but yeah, Roy was down there. He fought uh, Mario Rinaldi, knocked him out with an right with an overhand right. Well, he always could punch. I just don't think he was training it. I, well, according to him, I don't buy that. Listen, he also used to weigh like two twenty, two fifteen, and he beat happened? Frank Mir in a grappling contest. Remember that? Yeah. What did it, what happened with he, him? Mir was all over him like fucking white on rice. Got tired. Just, got tired, and then Roy just outscored him. But what happened? Why did what what did Roy? do that made him gain all that weight and keep it on while he's getting in shape that's what i understand i don't think it's not what he did it's what he never stopped doing you know mm -hmm. i don't i just don't know how you could be in good enough shape we can go three hard five minute rounds mm -hmm. and not lose that gut i don't know you gotta fuel that gut. that gut has got to be he's he's working on that thing there maybe there's uh like a little Tapeworms in there? Fusion engine inside that. It just keeps them going. Well, there's a lot of padding, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he ate those fucking Alistair Overeem body kicks. I don't even think that padding can make that big a it's just That's just being strong and tough, tough. as shit. Yeah. Well, that would be a good fight, man. I would like to see that fight. I think so, too. I think it'll be entertaining. If it'll actually happen yet. Uh, I think it will, but yeah, we'll have to see once, once we have paperwork and we have wet ink. 
Uh, wet ink. Wet ink. Wet works. All right, we got to get the fuck out of here. Uh, Josh L. Barnett on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, anything else you want to tell the fine people about before we get the fuck up out this bitch? Check me out on Axis. Uh, for Are you still doing Pan your podcast? Wrestling. No, uh, I am not. Couldn't, get... couldn't do it the way I wanted to do it. So I said, if that that's not if that's not capable, then I'm just not going to do it. Why don't you just do it on your own? Do it the way you want to do it's it. It's a lot of fucking work, dude. You should know. Listen, man, this is all you need. Get a phone. Start talking into it. Talk <laughs> shit. Upload it online. Call it the Josh Barnett Podcast. Yeah. Take it from there. Yeah, I, I you know, I did some good things on it, but uh, it wasn't. There was a lot of stuff that, that just wasn't allowing it to, to really be what it could be. All things in their own time, my friend. Mm -hmm. All things in their own time. Josh L. Barnett, motherfuckers. Uh, watch him, Metamorris. It'll be May 9th. May so 9th. May 9th. Really interesting. Against Cyborg. Abru How do you say his last name? Abreu? Uh, Abreu. I, I've only seen it written. I've never actually said it. Abreu? I, I, Abreu? I, I've heard it. That Either way. way. He's an amazing jujitsu fighter. It'll be a fantastic match. Josh Barnett, ladies and gentlemen, anything going on you got? Uh, 420 Vancouver just went on sale today. Oh, and shit. Secret Show next week with Tom Zagura, Christina Pajitsky, and Steve Agee, and a bunch of people at the Comedy Store. And you've got something in San Francisco and Sacramento San coming up? San Francisco, Sacramento uh, next month or May. Uh, it's, and all these tickets. Is it are called Sticky Icky or Purple Nurple? Nah. It's called Suck It, Bitch. <laughs> but we're going to be at the punchline, me and Tony. Oh, and I am at the Ka Theater at Mandalay Bay or at uh, the MGM. Uh, rather, um, that is, is that May? When the fuck is that? Yes, it is. It's, uh, May 20 shit. What, what date is that? May 20 22nd? shit. May 20 shit. 20, May 22nd. It's with my anniversary. Tom Segura, May 22nd, uh, MGM, the Ka Theater with Tom Segura and Tony Hinchcliffe. Holla! All right, my friends, that's it for this week. Uh, see you soon. Bye-bye, big kiss. Mm -hmm.